Okay, today we invite you to delve into the inspiring and courageous story of Kelsey Sharon, who served on the front lines of Afghanistan. Can you imagine? Kelsey returned home, bearing the invisible wounds of war. I mean, things we can't even comprehend, grappling with severe PTSD. But her experiences and losses on the battlefield served as a catalyst for her to transform her personal adversity into a lifeline for other people. After enduring seven years of personal struggle, Kelsey channeled her pain and resilience into founding Brass and Unity back in 2016. Her mission, to give her fellow soldiers a second chance at life and to support them in their own battles against PTSD. Let's jump in and explore Kelsey's remarkable journey from the war-ridden landscapes of Afghanistan to the helm of a socially conscious enterprise and how her personal battles with PTSD has fueled her unwavering dedication to helping her fellow servicemen and women. And of course, she's got a brand new book called Brass and Unity. At the time of this recording, it was available for pre-order. However, I just found out literally today, it's officially on sale ahead of schedule. Link in the description of this episode. Okay. High five. High five. We're this doing it. Great. I, I have a, a popped out rib. Yeah. So I'm, I'm like half power. That's okay. So there might be like some <laughs> like catching my breath. You do some breathing exercises mid-episode. And, and you're going to make me laugh too. I know. It's going to be bad. I'm sorry. You should have thought like, this through. Like, don't be funny, okay? I can't not. Ugh, it's very hard, especially when I laugh. Okay, good. Like I'm being, like, shanked. You should have taken some, like, <laughs> mushrooms before so that you could have relaxed. I should have. Yeah. I should have. That's right. I'll hook you up next time. Oh, my God. Okay. And I can't even take a full breath. But <laughs> there was no way I was canceling this. Thanks, man. Um, This is great. I'm so glad you're here. You had me on your podcast I last did. year. Yeah. And now we're now we're doing it. I think I weirded oh you out. Because Why? I... Okay, let me explain. So, I'm really... If you don't know me, the, I, I'm the host of this show called The Brass and Unity Podcast, and I'm super forward, and I'm like, I put myself out there viciously, and so I'm like, afterwards, I email you, I was like, hey, man, we live in the same town, if you want to get a coffee, here's my number. It's like, radio sense. I was like, oh, was no. It, was it DM or text? It was email. It was email? I felt so bad. I was like, oh, my God, I think I scared him. Oh, no, I, I'm so unorganized. No, it's, no, it's okay. I, just I can't I, keep up with emails and stuff. It's okay. I thought I scared the shit out of you. I was oh, like, God. oh, man, what have I done? How many people have I had this effect on? Probably none. It's probably just me. I'm an the word on the street is I'm a prick. Really? <laughs> I'm just guessing. I mean, it could be your it could be your just general beliefs and freedom. Maybe I mean, that's your issue. Could be. Could be. So you messaged me and said, "Hey, hey, like you want to yeah. grab a coffee? Like I'm in town. Like because all my guests and the majority of them are in America, or Australia, or wherever. So like when I get to actually have like, hey, high five, let let's be bros. Yeah. People are like, that you're too much right. for me. <laughs> Tone it down like nine notches." Oh, so yeah did i ever respond to that email no not at all was this before i was on your podcast no it was after <laughs> it was after i know oh my god okay yeah that, it's that's okay man no i'm sweating it's I feel okay. awful no don't don't feel awful this is life oh my god well you know you're what? a big deal you get busy i get it no but the, the hardest part about when i was on the radio all those years yeah is that like being able to get back to people oh it's impossible and i would always feel guilty because i know there's been a few people when i was growing up that you sort of looked up to, like DJs you listened to, or, yeah. or like a or a VG on much music, or mm -hmm. those people that you actually took the time to write a letter to, and then it was like radio silence. And in the back of your mind, you're like, "Is it someone that you really?" I mean, not not saying it was like that with me, but no. But I knew I've known of you a long time. I've listened yeah. to you for a really long time. My like when I told my parents I was coming on your show, like when I tell people I'm going on America shows, they're like, oh, oh. but I'm like I'm going on Kid. They're like, no way. 
Oh, see, that's... It's so much oh, worse. I'm making it so much I worse. I know. You're making it so much worse. Anyways, I'm so sorry. I carry that guilt. Okay. Anyways, I'm sorry. But yeah, it's of course okay. I'd like to hang out. Yeah, listen, I um, I really liked you because I like uh, the way that you, you and I, uh, we got along a, a lot on the way that you raise your children, the way you and your wife are, the way that you see the world. And it's like, there's fewer and fewer of us that are willing mm. to have those kind of out of the box conversations and like difficult conversations that most people back away from because like and Mm. so when I get that I'm like I kind of try to gravitate towards those and kind of like hang on to those it's like not allies in a way in a way but like more of an understanding you know there's there's a conversation that can be had without having to you know (laughs) tiptoe around one another so you know it makes a difference and so yeah no it's cool man I got community is everything it is it's the everything. definition of everything I do. So I, I, it's really, really important to me when I find yeah. people. I'm like, hey, yeah, well, let's dude, be friends. Let's knuckle it up. There I'm we down. go. And you've got tattoos on your knuckles, too. I have a lot of tattoos. I'm you a really head-to-toe uh, kind of gal. Can you hold them up for the camera? What, my, Just my, hold them up in front of your... My knuckles? Yeah, look. Look uh, at that. Yeah. I, I, have, I wish I had yeah. the guts to go... Hand tattoo. You could do. You could pull it easily. You're, you've got the old-school generation where it cuts at the wrist. Yeah. Yeah. Do my very first tattoo was? Ooh. Kind of want to know now. The star on my neck. No shit. Really? Like, I went from bare naked. Yeah. No tattoo. Just, ta- just, just a little pink boy walking <laughs> down the street to walking into the tattoo shop. Hit me on the <laughs> neck. And I was originally going to get a star on my shoulder. Right. What year was this? Which, uh, I don't know, maybe 2000. Okay, it was the fad. Yeah, it was the fad. Yeah, okay. I'm going to get a star on my shoulder. And then, I don't know, two minutes before walking in the door, I decided I'm going to get it on my neck. Okay. I don't know what possessed me. Mm-hmm. And I've, since then, you kind of justify it. Well, I, it was my way of making sure I never work in a bank. <laughs> <laughs> or I can never get a job as any other profession besides radio. But it's funny because I, I'm a I'm a generic-looking white boy. Yeah. The, I mean, you walked down the Super street. Super white. I look like any other yeah. round-faced white boy with a shaved head. Right. Um, so it's great that this, throughout my whole career... This this star tattoo, yeah, has almost been like my calling card. My where people go, that's him. Yep, because I recognize the star tattoo, and so people have come up and been like, "Hey, I've listened to you on the radio," or this or that. It's been a great um, uh, that little icebreaker icebreaker that makes people feel comfortable. It's definitely him. Yeah, without this, I think people would just say, "Uh, "That guy kind of looks like that guy," but who really knows? Right. So uh, I'm kind of glad that I got. See, I'm like that with the hat. That's yes. I, Daisy May. Listen, I if I don't wear this, so I was on a flight last night coming home from vacation, and I was talking to a guy, and um, he listened to one of the shows I've been on, and we got talking, and uh, he's an ENT here, and um, he was like, he's like, I feel like I have seen you somewhere, and I said I wear a black hat or I wear a hat. He goes, oh, I know where I've seen you, <laughs> and I said if I don't wear the hat, nobody notices. Can I see that hat for a second? Yeah, absolutely. This, this is, is my newest good- one. Wow. Yeah. Mm, wow, that's a really, what brand is this? It's Daisy May. They're from Tennessee. They're handmade. They're beaver. They're wow. my sponsor. And uh, Gage, Gage Spees makes these all by hand. And um, he's kind of been, I did the CAFA Awards. And uh, I wore a, they said to me, that, so Brass and Unity was nominated for a CAFA. So if you don't know what that is, it's Canadian Art and Fashion. And we were nominated for the um, Fashion with Impact. So philanthropic work. And uh, they said to me, you know, you got to wear, it was when it was virtual, which was like, the worst time to be nominated because normally it's this huge red carpet event and it would have been amazing. 
But I said, like, uh, they're like, you know, we would really like it if you wore a Canadian designer. And I was like, cool. So I went to some Canadian designers, like, oh, that's like $1,000 to, like, rent our dresses. And I was like, wait, I'm a Canadian designer, but I'm a jeweler. So I'm a Mr. T myself. So I went topless, and I pulled all my hair forward to cover my nips, and I wore my a black hat, and then just jewelry. And Your I own did- jewelry. My own jewelry, just all of it. And I did the morning show on the red carpet like that. I did the event like that. So the black hat became a thing. And then I <laughs> end up finding an amazing... I gotta see a picture of this. Oh, dude, it's legit. I, I will show you. I have one. I'm gonna find it right now because it's one of the, my favorite oh my things. But yeah, I've been really lucky. Um, Daisy May stuck with me and they've been... They've been really be, um, really honest and really open individuals about kind of what I do and really supportive. And the nice thing about this is like every everything I do nowadays, like I... I try really hard to anybody that's ever kind of it's not that I've made it or anything but it's like I'm on a journey to do something and I have a goal in mind and when you have people that believe in you before anyone else believes in you mm-hmm. I'll go super hard in the paint for those people and gauges yeah. Daisy Mays them all day long amazing yeah yeah I got a, a nice hat I, dude I'm telling you that he hand makes these things he did one for Post Malone recently and uh, it was like this cowboy hat and he had the, the it was just like the box was amazing. I was like, when I become important enough, will you make me a box like that? <laughs> he was like, yeah, bro, chill out. Oh, God. I, yeah. went for, I, went, I went on a stage for five years straight where I had every day. All yeah. different sort of felt hats. Yeah. And like, but I never, you know, before that was trendy. Yeah. I got to get out of the hat thing before that became trendy. But man, I, right. I, I, would, I would rock that for sure. I'll, I'll contact you. You got to hook me up. Oh, I will. He's, uh, he's the shit. But amazing. yeah, he's, uh, he's amazing. I'll find this photo for you after because it's probably one of my... I'm not a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Oh, there's a photo of you. I'm not a, um, out there. I don't, I don't show as my husband says, he's like, if you want to get Insta famous, just show your ass. And I don't, I really, I, I don't, I struggle with that. Um, I'm not that type of person. And so when they're like, so what are you going to wear at the cafe awards? I was like, well, I'm, I'm going to shock you and I'm not going to tell you what I'm going to wear. And then my husband's like, just go topless, just wear like Mr. T jewelry and just legit, you know, be you. And I did it. And I was like, God damn, I feel the most comfortable I've ever felt in my mm. whole life. So it's, you know, it just depends on, um, oh, there's the picture of my husband and I. So he came to support me because um, we had to do it virtually, like I said. And uh, he was super supportive. And he put made these little brass and unity stickers over my nips. And he took a photo with me. So, yeah, I was really... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> He's wearing them on his yeah, nips yeah. Too. He's like, I'm gonna support. So, so the black hat became That's a thing awesome. after that. But anyway, yeah. So I'm a, as long as I don't wear the hat, I don't. Yeah. I, psh, no one cares. Wow. Rocks. I mean. Yeah. And now here you are. Yeah. You brought me a gift. Mm-hmm. I got to bring this up. Yeah. Something you, simple. You tried to give this to me just as we were walking to the studio, and I said, wait, I want because there's an explanation behind this. Yeah. Well, there's an explanation and, by everything. I yeah. Do, but yeah. And I, and I wanted you to explain it to everyone. Cool. Yeah. I yeah. can absolutely do that. So okay. I'll open it up for you. So. Uh, my, my company started in uh, in 2015 on the kitchen table as a form of art therapy. And um, it was really just a way to get me out of the suicidal ideations I was dealing with from post-traumatic stress disorder uh, from deployment. And um, should, we, should we yeah, do a little background yeah, on who you can. are first? Because I think yeah. you're talking about deployment, I'm suicidal thoughts. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, people are going, wait, wait, who is this woman? Uh, a lot of people tuned in or will be fans of yours okay. who will want to, you know, just hear you talk. But for people who are like, okay, who is this woman? Well, I, um, you are, a, you are, you, you were in the military. I was, yeah. I mean, a million of us are. So yeah. I'm, I'm no one special. I, 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 a million of us are, but there's hundreds of others of millions of people. Right. I guess. That yeah. That aren't so Fair. like, and and very few of us get to actually meet someone from the military. 
in Canada at least. In Canada, we are yeah, very and yeah. we're very removed from the military. Mm-hmm. We're spoiled brats in Canada. We don't Severely. We don't um we were just like, "Oh, you parked too close to me." Yeah. You know, um yeah, it's I was an air cadet growing up. No shit. So um <laughs> really? I, I I mean, that's not the military. <laughs> I can't picture it. I can't. Oh, I was a chief warrant officer first class. What? Dude, of my squadron, 121 yes, you Red were, Arrows. Son. What? Whoa. Okay, good. Yeah, so so I mean, I have a such a sliver okay. of, of appreciation, but we got to take a lot of trips to yeah. the states, Virginia, yeah. you know, and, and places. And uh, there was like at least four or five different military bases we'd go and stay on and sleep in the bunkers. Mm-hmm. Every week, I went to like a six-week military, yep. you know, CFB Trenton, yeah. and a couple of places like that. I'm right near Trenton. I was born and raised right there. Yeah, so I, I so I, I got to, I, I understand the vibe, right? And I got to you know hang out with the military police and go and experience all these. I got to go through a real military, you know thing we got to jump over the thing and <laughs> crawl in the mud and I do like all that st- you know, I got to do that stuff I was a kid right you know I was only a teenager um but at least I got to see um standing in line with my tray to get breakfast with other real like real actual soldiers right in the U.S. and just you know mm-hmm. you, you, you get some of it rubs off on you yeah and I don't know I always preface this with like I I I did a small amount of time in the military because of my in- because I got injured because I was medically released. Like I was planning on being a career soldier, so it's hard for me sometimes. I have to step back and remember that, like you know, I a lot of my friends are like 25 year Navy SEALs and Army Rangers, and like when I talk to them, I go, huh, I'm no one, mm-hmm. and they're like, but you also got to remember, you served, you deserve the same amount of respect you put the effort in you did the time so i don't i try not to uh downgrade myself at all but i'm also aware that i'm i'm not here saying that i'm like a seal team six member by any means i was a grunt i did i did the job and um ultimately because the injury i couldn't continue to do the job so but maybe <laughs> maybe that's a good thing right and i'm starting you, to think that because you you have you kept enough of yourself in civilian world kind that you, of that you can pull back i mean kind of yeah, maybe that's um, maybe I'm speaking out of school because your okay. story is is pretty wild. Yeah, but I, but my, I guess my point is that you you have enough of yourself, you have enough of connection to civilian to explain to civilian what it's like. Now I do in civilian language. Yeah, I'm back now. You're back. I, now. I'm back now. Okay. I'm 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 here again. I don't know what I'm talking it's about. It's okay. Just, no, no, no. It's okay. Just trying to fill dead air. I fair <laughs> enough. I here's the thing. I uh, I grew up in a small town called Campbellford near the Trenton Air Base, mm. small farm town. Um, ultimately, like you had the bad breakup in high school and was like, I need out of this town, and that didn't have a plan. A, choice for a degree like barely graduated high school I was an athlete and uh, I went to Ottawa I went to Algonquin they accepted me for travel and tourism which Mm. is a ridiculous program and um, my parents had always taught me respect on Remembrance Day like we go to the ceremonies we wear the poppies we show up every year and so for me when I went to Ottawa I was like I'm in the capital I'm gonna go down to the ceremony and I did but I took the bus down and on the way back from the ceremony, there was this, it's weird because now when I look back, I'm like, she was meant to be right there. Mm. It was this, I met a lady on a bus, like stereotypical. Like, I met a lady on a bus, old Air Force, like old school medals, badass. And I just started talking to her about her life. And um, I got off the bus and had this weird moment of, yeah, I'm not doing what I'm meant to be doing. I'm going to go join the army. I had no, I've never hunted, I've never touched guns. I don't have military family. I only just found out when I was writing this book that I had a grandfather that served in World War II. Wow. So I joined the military. I went into a recruiter's office. I said, hey, I want to, this was 2007. You know, Canadians just started deploying to Afghanistan. At that point, we just had lost 
or not quite yet, we had just lost um, our first female operator. Like we were starting to be part more than, you know, a UN mission. We were starting to actually be combat arms. And so they said, you know, if you join one of these jobs that you're saying you want to do, you're for sure deploying. I just need you to know that everything is dagged red, meaning like we need people. So I was like, okay, I want to be infantry. They're like, you're too small for that. And I was like, yeah, but I'm an athlete. And like, I've been an athlete my whole life. Like, I've been now, a f- Why would you want to? Because so you've never touched a gun and you go, I want to be shooting the big guns. It's not about the guns. It was about the idea of being in a community and being able to show up for somebody else who needed my help. Mm. I'd always been that person, tried to be the team captain, tried to be the forward moving individual, tried to be the like rah, rah. That's just, I was a Taekwondo fighter since I've been four years old. So I didn't know how to not be that A type of person. And so. And what were the options like this or. Anything really. Shooting guns. No, it was anything. It was like, I I told them I want to be on the front lines, period. Mm. And they said, well, that's infantry, artillery, or armored. That's hardcore. Well, I don't want to go, I don't want to put all of this effort in and and be, and I say this with the utmost respect. We need every single military member. We need clerks. We need back-end people running the QMs, meaning getting quartermasters, getting us gear. We need everyone to function. We need the person who makes the mashed potatoes. We need it. We we, We need it. We legit need it, but that's not who I wanted to be. And I knew that. So I said, well, what else could I do? And they said, well, you can do artillery or armored. Armored, you're in a tank. Artillery, you're running big guns that shoot big stuff. And I was like, I get claustrophobic. Let's go big guns. Mm. So they put me into artillery, did the whole training. Um, They're like, yeah, we'll call you soon. Two weeks later, I got sworn in. A couple weeks after that, I was in basic training. And within a, by that September, I was at my regiment. The following April, I was in Afghanistan. Oh, my God. So it was like, pop, pop, pop. We were firing fast. We were doing rotations. So uh, ultimately, I went, got posted to a French unit, didn't speak any French, um, in Vacuette, Quebec. I was one of the only English speaking, and I was the only female in my unit, which was not welcome. And um, I had the a, only female, and you don't speak their language. Yeah, that's right. They needed, so they picked five <laughs> oh of us God. off of parade. <laughs> what a great start. It was, it was solid. It was a solid effort. <laughs> and uh, it's funny because my sergeant, who was with me, is a buddy of mine now. But when he first met me, and I tell this story, he was like, I don't want you, <laughs> like, clear as day. And so we end up deploying, um, I ran the M777s, which is a 155 millimeter howitzer. It shoots up to 40 kilometers. It takes five to seven people to run effectively. And uh, it, it's one of the biggest booms, you know, that we can make. The rounds weigh 100 pounds, they go up to my waist, and everyone has different jobs, and you all trade off, and you move, and it's great. Whew. It's one of my favorite things to do. I absolutely love blowing things up. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I loved it. It was fantastic. We deployed. Um, ultimately, at the time, the British and the Americans did not have women doing CST, so cultural support, or um, female searchers, meaning they needed female attaches to go along with them because they didn't currently have women doing those jobs. Now, the Americans have integrated women into the, you know, those combat arm roles, but at the time, they didn't. So I got picked off of my gun, which was out in the middle of Afghanistan at a fob called Fob Ramrod. And we were running, we were the Canadians running guns for Americans. So we were, when we all deployed, we were the only Canadians that didn't go with other Canadians. We went with an American unit, which was super fun because these guys didn't speak English. These guys were from Texas and that shit was hilarious. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> it was fantastic. So I ended up going on operation with the British outside the wire. Things went sideways, lost some friends, lost some human beings. Um, ultimately, that's when uh, I say my light switch went off and uh, I didn't do well after that. I got back. I got ripped away from the support that I had with those guys, uh, poor leadership and then got diagnosed right away with post-traumatic stress disorder and got heavily medicated within one week of that. And then um, ultimately, three weeks before my deployment was supposed to end, I got sent home early. So got ripped away from my unit, didn't have any support, got dropped off in Ottawa, told I would never see those guys again, and then no one called for six months. So at the time, the Canadian military w wasn't sure how to handle mental health stuff that was happening from deployments. When was this? What year was this? 2009. It's been a hot minute. Yeah. So. Phew, yeah. Let's breathe for a second. Yeah. Okay. <sighs> you need it. You're. Can you? <laughs> no, I can only take half a breath. Half breath. I can only take half a breath. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Um. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's a good time. Just even that little. I mean, that's a that's a movie right there. You, it's you just been described. optioned for a movie. Well, that's we're getting to that. That's <laughs> <laughs> funny for. You're yeah. segueing beautifully. I mean, yeah. No wonder. That's what happened. Yeah. Someone heard your story and went, "God, that sounds like a movie." Wait a second. Yeah, that was just like the tip let's, of the iceberg. Let's make it a movie. Yeah. Um, to experience yeah. that, bang, 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 life happens quick. Yeah, I was 18. You're 18. How long, what you just described, how many months was that? Six. Six months? Yeah. Oh, my God. From being on the bus and like, hey. Oh, from the moment to Afghanistan? Yeah. Oh, no. So uh, basic training started in January. From the moment I got to the unit I was deploying with, that was from sep September to April. And then that was when I was with the French. So I had to pick up French, had to learn all the gun systems in French, had to learn everything in French, and then deployed with them in April. Wow. So, yeah, so then to April, and then we were there April to September. It's a very short time. For Canadians, it is, for, uh, sorry, for Americans, it is, for Canadians, that's a normal rotation. Mm -hmm. Americans do like nine to 12 to sometimes 18 month deployments. Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit different. But it's funny, like, it's such a short time in your life. But yeah, the, and the, you go there, and then like you, you make friends with people, people who die. Yeah, and then you're sent home, mm -hmm. and you don't even have those mm -hmm. friends anymore. Like, because you become like siblings, I'm sure, like family. Not so much with the Canadians. I didn't have that bond with those guys. I had it with my sergeant, uh, Sergeant Mark LeBlanc. He's now uh, he's gone to the dark side as an officer. He's out in Gagetown. Um, what does that mean? The, the, uh, the officers. Anybody who remusters the officer, it's like there's that running joke that like if an officer's leading you, probably should just check where you're going. Right. <laughs> like there's just like a running joke, chill okay. out everyone. But it's like a we joke around about that stuff. Okay. So. Okay. So yeah, and then um I end up getting at that point from then on, they tried to retrain me. Meaning like try to reintegrate her into gun exposure, into loud bangs and see how it would do. But at that point I had really the, the bond happened with the British because that's who all the shit happened with. And you you become close, like tight and fast when you're in situations where you're getting shot at. Um, and so for me, those guys were my support network, right? But they were still in country. And then when they left, they were all in Scotland and England and New Zealand and like um, South Africa and all these places. And so for me, it was like just trying to figure it out. And at that point, I was 19 and then we tried for a couple of years to reintegrate me and it wasn't happening. It was getting worse. The PTS was getting worse. I physically went after like um, a Middle Eastern family in a Walmart. I had such a bad flashback. Like it was, it was getting worse. What? Oh yeah. My mom was there. So she pulled me off. It was really thankful. You just saw a Middle Eastern family and you were, uh -huh. you were just That triggered. was one of my things. That was one of my mm. things because when I went outside the wire, 
my job was to obviously shoot if you're shot at, run and move kind of thing. But if there were women and children in the compounds, it was to go take those women and children, put them into a separate room and search them. And so I had a different level of respect for the women of children, but the men didn't like me, right? You're going into rural areas where women don't have, I mean, women in Afghanistan, we've slid so far back now, we're back to women being sold. We're back to child brides. We're back to women not being able to leave the house without a man. We're back to women not being able to go to school. Like we fucked up so bad on that goddamn pullout that we're back, like we're, we're worse off than we started, right? So for me, they didn't like that. And so when I would see a man that resembled that, and that power thing came over me and it was like get the fuck on the ground situation kind of thing. Mm. So that was a one of my one of my things I had to work with. Um, and then ultimately they said, you know, at one point. You're not allowed to Walmart anymore. You're not allowed to Walmart anymore. You, I don't care how good the deals are. You're not going to Walmart. So what, you're, you're there and what, you, you just scream at the wife and kids to like get I, on the ground? No, I went, yeah, I went, my mom stopped it, like started grabbing things off shelves and like I, I was not there. Right, I really truly. You had an out of body experience. I was not there. Well, the the mind is a delicate <clears throat> thing. It can be, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, wow. Yeah. So you're like Just, smacking things off I the don't shelf. Remember. Get on the ground. Yeah, I don't remember all of it. My mom said oh my it was God. like terrifying, but wow. they said, you know, in 2011, they're like, yeah, you're done. Like we can't. You're going to be medical released. You've been fully diagnosed. Your percentage is this. Um, you're going to be released on a, a three bead med release, meaning like due to an injury on deployment. Um, and then they, I was 21. They're like, you're probably never going to work again based off of what's happening. You're on 10 different ph pharmaceutical drugs, which they just love to do to people. And at that point, that's when the suicidal you know, ideations really started to wrap itself around uh, me, and I started to lose control. Okay, so this state you're in at yeah. the time is because of people that you were working with. Dying. You're in a war situation, and people are dying. I, you know... <laughs> you become a part of things that you're never proud of now that now that we understand mm -hmm. you know when i look back nobody who's ever really seen true violence or been a part of real violence will ever advocate for war right no mm -hmm. one really truly will um and so when i look back at my time i'm like fuck i really wish i didn't do that i fucking really wish i didn't do that i really wish i didn't do that i really didn't do you know and then um ultimately there was one significant situation where we were um, I talk about it at length. I've talked about it on Jocko. I've talked about it very, I've talked about it on Lex and I've been really open about it. And, um, you know, I, I watched some, this happens. Like somebody was walking, we were waiting for the road to clear and then he was there and he wasn't. And then we were ambushed and there was just a firefighting and then I had to do body collection. So for me, it was, I was never trained to go do that job. Like body collection is? What was left. Just picking up pieces of people's bodies? Yeah, because we don't leave anything behind. It doesn't matter what happens to you. Nothing yeah. is ever left behind. So we push forward. We suppress fire. We move. We take. We go. Blackhawks come. The Pedro flights go. And then we had a guy that was, um, he was at the, the front entrance when it happened. He got, you know, oh, it was, it, so it's like war is war, period. Mm. And mm. then there was situations after that throughout that week that just went sideways. And so it for me, it, it there was a light switch moment where I truly felt my ability to like control my emotions and like the hatred and the anger just fucking, and that was it. Mm -hmm. There was nothing oh, else yeah. after that. My yeah. God. Yeah, it's a good time. Oh my God. Oh yeah. I mean, and that was like yeah. that was nothing. That was like a barely a blip. Now imagine, like I got friends of mine, um, my buddy, uh, veteran with a sign. You ever see the guy with the cardboard signs on Instagram? I just interviewed him. MD motivator. No, different guy. So okay. he does, he's the civilian guy. Okay. There's a military guy that's quite 
famous for it. His, it's veteran with the sign. His name is Zach Bell. Okay. And he does it for like suicide prevention and like all of these things. But anyway, he's like our military version. And um, a lot of people with signs out there. All the signs. And um, he, you know, this guy was like a Marine. Like his job was to go out and make people like off the face of the earth, like deployment after deployment after deployment after deployment. So can you imagine compounding that? Right. And like that was my taste. Now imagine what the rest of these guys have to go and do. Like I, I just, I wasn't, it wasn't my job. I wasn't prepared for it. wasn't cut out for it. And it just happened. The fact that you were out picking up pieces of, of leftovers mm-hmm. from a, whatever, you know, an attack. Yeah. And then not long after that, they're just kind of dropping you back off yeah. in Ottawa and saying, okay, well, have an ass laugh. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> it's What? That's we insane. Didn't, we didn't know the leadership at the time was so poor because we were involved in something that, like we weren't trained for like we when we landed in Afghanistan we didn't get like we got like this is what the cultural we didn't get like this is what um Afghanis you know respect wise these are the cultural attaches these are the things you should do and shouldn't do like I didn't know shit about that country I didn't know shit about those people it's like what do you expect's gonna happen right it's like you go from these small towns all over the world and they drop you off into these places where culturally religiously there's so much um different ambiguities and things that happen and you're like if you don't understand those like things are going to go sideways it's just you don't really exposure to other parts of the world for most people is what you see in movies exactly so Which we have are, this like raw yeah. raw go yeah. like yeah. let's go kill the bad guys thing like people are killing our friends we're going to kill them it's like <sighs> oh. yeah and then um and this was after i mean pardon me this was after like the reason why we were in Africa, it was this part of the whole like after 9-11 thing yeah, I mean, we were all so, part of, like, you know, right. we didn't do Iraq. I mean, our special forces did. But, you know, we didn't, you know, boots on the conventional boots on the ground. We weren't Iraq. We were Afghanistan. Um, yeah. We pulled out. I don't even know what the year was that we left because I'm so focused on, like, the abandonment of Canadians we left in 2021 that, you know, I've kind of over overlooked, like, what what really what the hell we were even doing. I don't even know what our mission set was. Mm. So, like, if you don't know what your mission set is and your conventional soldiers don't have a goddamn clue what they're doing... It's an issue. It's a leadership problem, but we yeah. have that problem. They probably don't want you to know what, what you're doing. No, you don't like, want to know. Like, for uh, example, the SOPs, meaning like standard operating procedures and the Geneva Convention are different for America than it is for Canadians. But when you're shooting for Americans, you're, you get where things can go mm-hmm. wrong. Yeah. 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 It's a good time. Holy moly. It was just a small part of my life, though, right? It was uh, 7 to 11. And then after that, it was this having to ultimately the only reason I didn't take my life was because of the person I was dating who's now my husband so I had one person that was my anchor and really just I leaned on that and because of him I was able to um, once I got released I moved out to British Columbia and I got one of the best well I got the best doctor for PTSD uh, in all of Canada and was the first person to do research on veterans and PTSD in general so I had this I have and I still have them this old cranky you know badass Bosnia Rwanda veteran uh, who's a psychiatrist who's in Vancouver Dr. Greg Passy and like he's stuck with me and he's been the reason I've been able to continually get better that must take a long time to build up trust with someone like that. Oh, my God. <clears throat> like, well, well, I went to Ottawa, and they gave me all these weird social workers who just wanted to drug me more and just do all of these things. It was just, <clears throat> it was not great when our system is broken, yeah. mm-hmm. right? So, yeah. Yeah. So, which leads to this gift that you brought. Yeah, man. So, um, 
I got now, s- now, we, now we have an idea of like what you've gone through. What have wild. I done? So many millions of questions about that, but I mean, okay. I know you don't want to. I'm, listen, I don't know how long your show is. Yeah. I do shows for a very this long time. It's a 10-year show. So <laughs> you do you talk to me however long you want, and I'll answer whatever you need. So I, I'm I, fine. I want to get to this beautiful okay. gift you brought. So it's it's nothing much, but okay. um, so here's the thing. We have so many in our in our uh, North America in particular, in our Western culture, we, we bitch and whine about everything. Um, we complain about everything. We talk about how our coffees are made wrong and, you know, uh, it's not sunny today. And, you know, like we, we bitch about everything. And something that has kind of been growing and brewing and, and the reason why I even started this company was my constant frustration with the fact that we have first world problems and no one seems to care about the real issues in the world. And so for me, the main focus and others are like, well, that's a niche focus. I'm like, but when 44 people start taking their lives every day, why is this not on every major magazine, every major newsstand, every fucking, everyone, why isn't everyone screaming going, why do we have 44 like soldiers and veterans, first responders taking their life every day? That has gone up. So we were at 22 a day two years ago. Mm. We've doubled that. So for me, my whole purpose in this world is keeping people, my friends, alive and letting them know that suicide never needs to be the option, that there are tools and people that genuinely care and will give you their time. And so what I've realized is you can say that to people to your blue in the face, but people often need like a touchstone of some type of object. And so I started building these products on the kitchen table as a form of art therapy for myself. And then a couple friends were like, those are cool. And I was like, okay. And my husband's like, why don't you do something with this? And I was like, I don't know fashion. I don't know business. I barely graduated high school. (laughs) He's like, I'll help you. And so what I started doing was taking old uh, brass casings, not the bullets, everyone calmed down. They didn't kill anyone. Um, And then I started turning them into jewelry on the kitchen table. And it got me to the point where I wasn't feeling suicidal every day. And I I was out of bed and I was brushing my teeth and I was moving. It was like, we have something here. So what we developed, this was one of my very first products. And what it is, these are the buddy check bracelets, okay? So they come in packs of two. And that we have a beaded one, a rope one, a leather one. Um, and we're expanding this collection because it is really working. This is the, out of all the jewelry I make and all the money we donate and all the, you know, awareness we are, like every other company, you know, social awareness, this fucking thing works. I've seen it work. I know it works. And this is the one thing that I'm genuinely leaning into like for the rest of my existence. So mm. what they are is just a paracord rope with a 38 casing on them. And one is for you and one is for a friend. And this prompts accountability with another human being and a check on them in a way that maybe you wouldn't have done otherwise. Because I'm not a big like, hey, let's go have a beer. Because alcohol is a depressant. It is one of the reasons so many veterans take their lives. Alcohol to me is there's a time and a place, but not when you're dealing with mental health, not as a way to escape in the world. And so I was like, how do we prompt questions? So the whole thing is buy, pack, call a buddy, save a life. And so you don't have to talk about it. You don't have to talk about your mental health. You don't have to give a whole spiel. You just give them the bracelet and go, you call me whenever you need me. Mm. That's it. Mm. That's simple. And so we make these here. And um, yeah, like I said, they're nothing, like it's nothing special, nothing huge. And um, well, they're really cool looking. Thanks, man. So I'm really lucky. Call so it's me just, when you need me. Yeah, just call me when you need me. 
Let me open this here. Just like this. They're really, like, so we have to make them really strong because I'm really fortunate. I have a ton of Navy SEALs, ton of Army Rangers, ton of Special Operators, Conventional Forces. I have people that beat the living hell out of these, and mm. so we have to make them strong. So they're really, really durable, and yeah, yeah. Um, I'm really wow. proud of these. Um, these wow. guys here, I had somebody tell me that it gave them a moment of pause when they went to grab a gun. Now wow. that, to me, that's it. That's all I needed. That's all I needed to hear. So now these ones are yours, and you now have to, now that I've given them to you, you know that you call me if you ever need. That's day or night. It doesn't matter. When I say it, I mean it. And if you can call anyone and touch, she will fucking answer the phone. Mm. And then that is for you, for another human being, to be like, hey, this is now our responsibility, meaning, like, you're down, you're struggling. This is how we help each other. Wow. Yeah. And then I got earrings for your wife. <laughs> and then we also make like nice jewelry for women as well. What, what are you wearing? This is so I know how to contact my buddy. That's right. When I'm. But you know what? You'd be you'd be these are just so for shocked. You look sexy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I do uh, the same thing too. I'm trying. I'm just trying to put this on right no, now. No, you do you, man. Do mm. you? Yeah. And then we went into you know conventional jewelry wow. as well. This is amazing. Yeah, what a man. great idea. Thanks. So the idea is when you're feeling super low. And you know what? Hey, who knows? You might reach for a gun. You might. Who knows what you're thinking? You'd be shocked. You, you see the on your wrist, and it, it, it's a it's a trigger to be like, listen, maybe I'm just gonna call. Yeah, just say hey, what's my up, my buddy. Yeah. yeah. And you know wow. what? I had a I had doctor. I was so fortunate. I had doctor Don, uh, John Deloney on the show and recently, and I was talking to him so much about mental health, and I said like, what's going on in this world? Because what I'm seeing is this constant despair this constant sadness, this constant loneliness. We are more connected in our world right now than we have ever been in any part of humanity, and yet we are in an epidemic of loneliness. We have a million people around. I was just in the Bahamas for two weeks. Do you know what my favorite part was? Not the sun, not the break. I don't vacation well. Um, it was the people. Mm. How you doing, darling? How's your day going? How's your family? Your son feeling better mm. today? They fucking cared. They held doors. They wanted to genuinely know how you were. And they look you in the eye when they're having a conversation. For example, I go and grab a coffee. I'm just down the street here, right? Just now. I have my book, a box, and a coffee in my hand. And I look at the door. And the lady across the door just looks at me and stands there. So I boot fuck that thing. And I go, thanks. <laughs> what the hell? I know. We right? are about me, 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 me. We have forgot that we are a community and we are all connected and that there is a unity that needs to happen. Mm -hmm. And so my company and what I do is about just making people realize there's a community out there. You don't have to be military. You don't have to be a veteran. You don't have to be a first responder. We are all in need of others. Start acting accordingly and maybe people will decide to stay on the face of this planet. Mm -hmm. It's not difficult. Yeah. It's funny because I've... I've the, within the last few interviews that I've done, the the idea of suicides come up. Yeah, I mean, I, I interviewed a guy named. He's got like 14 billion followers on TikTok. Who's that? His name is um, Zachary. He's, his his handle is um, MD Motivator. Okay. He's become very famous with. He'll go and he'll find someone who wants to do a random act of kindness for him, or oh, he'll, he'll I love ask, that. ask for help. And they the, the people who who really can't help yeah. help. Like someone who's very poor will that give guy. them money. I know who that is. Yeah, I know. I love, I share the he's, shit out of those. He's amazing. Yeah, you, you can't, you, you watch his videos and you cry. I know, because why wouldn't you? And so, long story short, my wife, our whole family was uh, doing at an event in, in Toronto recently. And I took my boys to their very first Raptors game. And my wife disappears. I'm like, where's mom? 
She's on the court before the game. And because I guess she saw this Zachary guy. Wow. And she's like, oh my God. Just I just even, have She to. didn't even say bye to us. It was like she just left the family and ran. And she was so excited to see him. Yeah. And, and said, hey, if you're ever in Vancouver, you should come on, on my husband's yeah, podcast. Yeah. And he'd never been to Vancouver before. Fast forward six days later, he's sitting right where you are. Dude. And he came to Vancouver and and I got to interview him. That's amazing. I'm and so happy. Genuine salt of the earth guy. But what he says is the reason why I started doing this was because I was. Being in the pandemic, it hits. Yeah. I'm at medical school in Australia. I'm alone. Relationship ended after six years. Mm-hmm. Tore, tore my ACL. I couldn't walk. I was lonely. Had no friends because I just moved to Australia. The world shut down. I wanted to kill myself. Yeah. Isn't that the saddest thing? And I'm going, oh, my God. And he's like, I had I had no one to connect with, no one to talk to. Mm-hmm. And he turned to TikTok. So he's a Chinese spy, but he's also doing great things. There you go. <laughs> It's fine. I'll say it. it just, and the next thing you know, yeah, he just started highlighting the beauty in people. Yeah, and uh, it's turned him into this uh, guy. He now he can travel the world and and showcase people in all different parts of the world. But when, in that interview, he also talked about the lessons he learned from people in Mexico. Yes, he's like he went there to try to give away money. Oh and God! He's like, he's like I thought that it was going to be a huge hit. He's like actually people didn't really care no. about me giving them five hundred dollars cash. Mm-mm. He's like, what they wanted was, would you like to go on a free boat ride with your family? Yeah. Or they wanted experiences. They Community. wanted. It's like a valuable experience is the new currency. Or it should always be the currency. Yeah, I know, right? That is the that. Yeah. That's the thing. Um, when I started using psychedelics, that was the thing where I it, it it takes everything out of me to not sell all of my possessions and live in the woods now. Um, and so, can you imagine? the people's lives that he's changed who if he decided to end his life who could have ended theirs or were in such despair like can you imagine like the impact that that one human being changed for so many people the ripple effect because he decided to stay with us like people overlook how like giving somebody a compliment nowadays makes people uncomfortable but the odd time you do it I'm telling you right now it will change their day. We have a lady in White Rock um, at London Drugs. Okay, I go there with my son all the time. Been going there since I was pregnant with him. And I just started to get to know her. Like she was always my chick and she just got to know her. She's a little bit older. Every time I go in, how you doing, beautiful? Oh, hello, sweetheart. She just lights up. Mm. And I'm not doing anything difficult. It's not taking any extra time out of my day, but I'm just showing up. That's it. Mm-hmm. You don't have to do much. You don't have to spend money. You don't have to have all these extravagant things. Like, it's great. It's amazing that he can do that now. Like, I mean, to be able to get to that point where you can just give like that is like, that's the dream. But just small steps. Hold the door. Look people in the eye. How are you doing? Are you having a good day? When you're asking somebody how they are, mean it. Expect a response. If somebody goes, I'm not doing that great. Give them a second and go, is there anything I can do to help? Do you just need a hug? I've done that in the grocery line at thrifties. I've ended up hugging strangers all the time mm. because people just need hugs. They need support. They just need to know that another human being sees them mm. just for a second. Cause a lot of people aren't seen. They feel unseen, especially now. Everyone feels like they are in this world alone, but yet we're surrounded by others, mm-hmm. but this doesn't happen anywhere else. Right. This yeah. only happens in Western society. Yeah, bizarre. It's sad. I kind of learned 
a little bit of that when, you know, in my years of radio and mm-hmm. interviewing people, I feel I, I feel like I had to warm up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I went to some conference and they said, well, before you go in on your way into the radio show, talk to as many random strangers as you can before you get on the air. Really? And that way you're sort of warmed up. Oh. Like you've got the conversational okay. lube going. I sang in the car. I'm like, I'm like, all right. <laughs> so I get on the elevator and, you know. What's up? Just talk to the person on the elevator. And your voice is so iconic. Right? It's like, what's up? I'm kidding. Iconic. It, no, it is. You are a part of Canadian history. Okay, stop it. I'm trying to tell my story here. I'm sorry, but I don't can't. embarrass me. I, well, I'm not don't going embarrass to. me I'm and don't make me to. laugh. I'm These are the do rules. Both, both of them. I have a rib out. I don't Please respect to, the rib. I won't okay? respect your rib, and I don't <laughs> listen to rules well. So, and then I get in the taxi or the Uber, yeah. and I, I talk to that person. And by the time you get to the radio station, yeah. you feel like, hey, I've, I've had some conversations with people, a little bit of, mm-hmm. you know, maybe a joke here and there, or maybe like a sentimental moment with someone. Um, but then I would notice, wow, it's it's not just the getting my jowls moving and getting the, it, I'd fe- I would actually really feel good. Yeah. Like I would feel happier mm-hmm. because I took a moment to listen to someone else and not make it about me and care about like what, uh, you know, get every time, and still to this day, whenever I get taken, I took an Uber here today, I jump in and I always say, Hey, you just starting or just finishing? Yeah, exactly. It's like my opener with every Uber driver. Mm-hmm. And then from there, I can ask a follow-up question, you know? And then they go, you're the guy with the star tattoo. They, they, aren't you iconic? I recognize that iconic voice. I would. You I, you know what? I, you <laughs> say whatever the hell you want. No, seriously. I've uh, known about you through radio. Your voice mm. is synonymous. When I know radio, when I used to listen to radio before it turned into the woke thing that it is, I I knew your voice when your when your voice came on. It didn't matter where you were working. You would just oh that's the guy I know. So I listened to that. Well, and that's just the way it is, man. Get comfortable. Get right. the fuck on board. So I love that you do that because if more people can show others that it's okay to be uncomfortable and awkward and be weird and for a moment just be out of your comfort zone. If that's all you do one day, if you struggle with social anxiety, the one thing I would say, one day. All I want you to do is hold a door for someone to look them in the eye. Start there. Because so many people are struggling with human connection because they don't know how to be around others anymore. Mm. Right? Because we made sure our government has done that. Right? So if you can, the way you fight back with that is force it. I know it's uncomfortable if you have to do some breathing exercises first, but just go hold a door for someone. It makes a difference. And it's a starting point to getting yourself back out there. I worked with a coach a few years ago. Yeah. And... One of the things that he made me do was go and dance on the street. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that so and he much. He had a funny name for it. Okay. Like a wobbly something. I don't know. Okay. And it wasn't like, not like a cool dance. Not like, no, go like do an like, awkward move your body. Don't, don't go, go. I want you to go b boy it out <laughs> on a piece of cardboard. It was like, go flail your arms. Yeah. And like, like, like a wet noodle. Like a wet noodle spaz, like one of those balloon things yeah. you see outside of a car dealership. And I would have to do that. Um, and, and this guy normally typically works with like CEOs, mm-hmm. button up, pretty stiff type mm-hmm. people where reputation really matters. Absolutely. Um, and it took like, you know, remember he's like, you have, okay, I'm going to come into my office tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. I want to hear that you've done seven of these. <laughs> you're like, oh, okay. Seven of these dances. And you're like, oh, is this guy freaking kidding me? Yeah. And then you're just walking down the street, you know, and then you suddenly got to just, do it. Just be weird. And and the idea was to not care. It was to build up that muscle that like not to care what people think about you. Mm-hmm. 
of course, then I spun it into, I, used, I would use it against my kids. It's brilliant. I would say, you know, if you guys don't stop fighting in the backseat, I'm going to pull over the car. Yeah. And I'm going to dance on the street. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and it's going to be highly embarrassing for you. And people know your dad, <laughs> so they'll take videos of it. Right. And you're in the car for that. Oh, God. But it was very liberating, very freeing. And then he's like, okay, now you got to do it in an elevator with a stranger. Oh, and I, I'm like, oh my dude! I'd pay to see that. Please don't make me. But you build up this mm-hmm. thing where, uh, hey, if this person in the elevator thinks I'm a crackpot, cool. So be it. Cool. Doesn't matter. What's gonna? What's the worst that's gonna happen? They're, nothing. They're gonna be, they're tell the story about you. Literally and nothing. Buddy. They're gonna call the cops. Maybe. Yeah. Hey, they're gonna they're having they're gonna have a great story later on yeah. at dinner tonight with their family. Right. Hey, some guys started like spaghetti arms on the elevator. Yeah. Just right. don't like go up to them and do it. Yeah, like, don't, give, give them some space. But yeah, just, there like, was no contact. You got to look them dead in the eye though when you do it, because that's really when you level up that uncomfortableness. Oh god, it's fantastic. Yeah. But yeah, it's 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 uh, it's about getting comfortable in your own skin. That's right. A little bit. How do we start talking about that? I, you know, I spin off into a million things. Know. You've been on my show. You've you seen how I, I do things. I want to talk about this book you've got. Okay. And it's it's becoming a movie. Yeah. I mean, what is happening? I don't know. You have um, experienced all this wildness. Mm-hmm. Um, and how are you doing now? How are you doing these days? Yeah, so, uh, you know, once the company kind of started becoming a thing, I found it Brass and Unity. Yeah, Brass and Unity. Yeah. Once, uh, well, first it started as her wearables. So it was just making on the kitchen table. I met somebody at it. I'll do this very quickly for you. Started the stuff, started building bracelets. Somebody told me about a trade show. Went to a trade show in Vegas. Wasn't supposed to be there. Had line sheets, signed stores. Sat down at a dinner. That didn't have a reservation. It's a big jewelry trade show. Yeah, it's called Magic. It's the buying show for like, no, fashion. So it's like where people's stores go to do their buying for the year. Mm, okay. Right, so all the brands are there and, you know, people from all the stores from all over North America come and they do their buying stuff in Europe, all over. So I just would like stop people in the hallway and be like, hi, let me tell you about my brand. And that's like super frowned upon. Um, people pay thousands of dollars for to these be booths. inside the yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're just stopping people in the backpacking that bitch. And I was pregnant, <laughs> so oh my God, amazing. I uh, sat down at this dinner, um, and it happened to be these two guys sat down beside me, and one of them was married to Jesse Tyler Ferguson from Modern Family. Okay, and he was like, "What are those about?" And I was like, "I told him." He was like, "Let's talk tomorrow." And then cut to that's pretty cool. If your jewelry stands out so much, that's yeah. That someone at the next table is like, "Whoa." Yeah, I was really like lucky. that. Really stands out. That well, jewelry. when you wear like five or six bullet casings on your wrist, like yeah. that's going to pop for yeah. someone. I mean, um, yeah, what you're wearing, oh, that's just this is the gold one. That's pretty yeah. cool. This is the quattro yeah. bracelet. Wow. Yeah, I have the choker too. So it every like there little. Wow. Oh, it can, it clasps with oh, a with a magnet. Yeah, man. That's cool. Yeah, when you stack them, like that's a thing, right? Stacking. Stacks. Yeah, I'm learning yeah, all about cool. the fashion stuff, right? Awesome. So I I sat down and he we talked the next day. And he's like, Hey, I've got this friend named Beth Bears. Like, she's got the sexual assault foundation. She's looking for a jewelry partner. So I like partnered with Beth Bears while still making it on the kitchen table and like buying stuff from Country Beads on like West Fourth. Like it, weird and teaching myself all these things. Next thing you know, she's like, uh, I'm going to bring it on Ellen. So we were on the 12 Days of Giveaway. Ellen? Yeah. Oh, my God. So we were on 12 Days of I wasn't. She was on there with the product. Ellen, I have pictures with Ellen wearing it. And um, we were on the 12 Days of Giveaway. And then we had, like, a little article in Forbes. And then in L. And then in, like, fashion. And um, so, like, I started to become, like, a brand. And then my parents are long-haul truck drivers in Canada and the U.S. And my mom goes, I'm driving for Kevin Hart. He's doing this What Now tour. He's going to stop in Vancouver. I'm going to tell him he needs to meet you. And Kath is like chattier than me. This is your mom? Yeah. My mom's ruthless. So she's driving his gear? Yeah. Yeah. For his tour? Yeah. Oh my God. So 
my mom, and this is the first time my mom had driven on her own. So like my mom and dad were like, my dad's like, I'm going to do this one. You try this for the first time. So my mom went and was like, big rig in it. She comes to Vancouver and she, at this point had been her, like got to know all the staff and my mom's super friendly. And they're like, yeah, we'll talk to Kevin. So Kevin's like, yeah, I'll meet her after the show. I'm like, I love Kevin Hart. I've loved him forever. You know, uh, husband's of Hollywood. Like I fucking love Kevin Hart. Um, and he meets me after the show and it's just my husband my mom and Kevin. And for the record, I love him too. Oh my God, he's great. I just We're the wanna, same I just don't want to be a copycat, but it's okay. I love him too. We're also the same height. It's really <laughs> cute. Um, and uh, I made a little joke. And he's like, do you want me to laugh for real? And I was like, if it's funny. So I made like a husband's a Hollywood joke. And he was like, huh, that's not bad. Anyway, takes out the jewelry. And he goes, why is it called her wearables if you want guys to wear it? And I was like, shit. Damn it. And he goes, he yells to his bro. We're going to tweet this out tonight. We're going to tweet it out. Tweets it out. I'm driving over that, like, the bridge, go home, and he tweets it out. Um, my husband goes, okay, like, you might have something here. We need to really get serious. And so we started brainstorming new names. And in 2016, we incorporated as Brass and Unity. And um, since then, we were on, you know, Kevin Hart, Julian Huff, Buble. Um, we had uh, Whitney Cummings, Kat Dennings. All these things started happening. And then in, um, when was it? I think it was 2019 at that point. Um, you know, the, the purpose was here. I had my purpose again. My purpose was I'm going to donate 20% of these net proceeds to these different vet organizations that are really, they're the ones doing the boots on the ground work. Like we have one here in British Columbia called Honor House. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. They have this, think of Ronald McDonald, first responders and veterans. Okay. So they have a location in New Westminster. And then they have uh, 120 acres in Ashcroft, British Columbia with 10 cabins. They take all these people up and they look after them while their families. It doesn't have to be for that person. It could be your child's going through something in the hospital. There could have been a funeral and they will house you. They will look after you. They will do all of these things. And so I was like, I want to start helping people. This is how I'm going to help. I can't run a nonprofit. That's not my deal. Mm-hmm. But like if I can get a vehicle that gets the money into the hands of these people, then I know I'm doing something that I was meant to do. So Cut to, you know, 2017, 2018, we're doing great. We're kind of turning, we're donating, I'm going to events. I'm, you know, it's, it's, it's what I dreamed of. I'm like, I'm helping in a different way. I've found my purpose and purpose is where people are lacking nowadays. If you can find purpose, you can move through anything, any struggle, any mental health, you can move through it if you have a purpose in life. So I found that purpose through this brand. And at that point, 2019 rolls around. We over 200 retailers in North America. You know, we're getting nominated for awards. We're this Canadian brand. I'm in all these magazines and somehow I'm still getting worse, right? Mm. I have a husband, I have a child, I have a beautiful home, I have a lovely car, I have it all. But why is mommy still crying on the stairs more days than not? Why can't I sleep? Why is it getting worse? Um, So I got this opportunity. Um, when I, it was the 75th anniversary of D-Day, I went over to France with another organization and we rode 600 kilometers on our road bikes for charity, for vets. Mm. And there was a person there, again, some big guy at the time was the CEO of the David Foster Foundation. And he was like, I like what you're doing. Can I tell a few people? And he told a few people, I get on the phone call, I'm talking to all these people. And this one lady stuck with me and she's a PR and her name's Kim and she works with Candace Bushnell and she works with like all of these amazing like celebrities and for whatever reason, she's like, I like you. I'm going to work with you. I like you. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> so 
she's like, I have the show um, we want to put you forward for. It's called the Carson Daly Show. It's the Mind, um, Mind Matters when he was doing. And he's like, she's like, if you have anything new you want to do, like, let's promote it. And my husband and I were toying with, like, starting a podcast with me. And so I started the podcast. And one of my first reaching, I reached out to a sponsor named Combat Flip Flops. They take, um, like, bullet casings and they put them into flip flops and stuff. They've been on Shark Tank and they partnered with um, Mark Cuban. And they're run by uh, former Army Rangers, special forces, special forces. But what they do is they take their funds and they educate girls in Afghanistan. So mm-hmm. they give literacy to over 800 girls in Afghanistan now. And um, my husband's like, reach out. So I reached out and he's like, yeah, we'd love to work with you. And then I was like, do you want to be on the show? And he was like, yeah, sure. And I was like, (laughs) so he came on the show and we get talking at the end of it. He leans in and he's like, how you doing? I'm like, oh, good. Good. He leans in again. He goes, seriously, how you doing? And he saw something that I didn't even know I could get. I just started, I broke. And he said, I'm struggling. I said, I'm struggling. I'm still on some of these pharmaceutical meds. I use cannabis, but I'm still not doing well. And I don't know how, I don't know what else I can do. I'm really at my wits end again here. And he goes, listen, there's an organization called Heroic Hearts Project. It's run by a former army ranger. They send veterans to go do ayahuasca. Have you ever heard of it? And I was like, yeah, it's like gnarly. And he's like, there's an opening in 30 days. So I called my doc and I was like, I can't be on an SSRI anymore. I've been on it for 10 years. He goes, you can't just go cold turkey. I said, well, I'm going to. I'm not asking permission. Here's what's going to happen. If we call you out a weird chance, and one of these times you know something's going on. I'm going to do this. And he goes, I can't stop you, but thank you for letting me know. And ultimately at that point in, um, I think it was 2020 or 20, I think 2021 or 2020, I got the opportunity. I went. I went and I sat with ayahuasca with a bunch of different special operators and Heroic Hearts Project. Mm. And I have never gone back on a pharmaceutical med. And now I am a huge advocate for psychedelics. I'm currently going through integration coaching to become an integration coach for psychedelics with Heroic Hearts Project. Um, I help other veterans get access to uh, psychedelics to heal. And now I um, I use ayahuasca semi um, sep- when I get the op- when the medicine calls and the opportunity comes, I go. Uh, last year I was in Peru. Um, I use psilocybin through uh, Mindful Meds, which is a Vernon company here. And I microdose, and I do a macrodose, and I'm, I've got something really cool I'll tell you off air that I'm about to do, um, which is actually going to be a huge thing in Canada soon. Off air? Yeah, soon. That means it's the wild stuff. It's crazy. <laughs> okay. So so I started using psychedelics. I, I, I love microdosing. Oh, good. Perfect. There's a company called Dose. Yeah, yeah, I know dose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I have one DMT experience. So I, Ooh. I've never done ayahuasca, but I do have. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm well, picking up what, you put, what you're putting down. So, ooh, yeah. so you're gonna have to come back on so we can talk about yours because I didn't know that. Yeah. Ooh, I want to yeah. know. All it changes about your whole. You're changed forever. When well, that you stuff you peek behind the curtain, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's and that's what happens. And so yeah. since then, I've I, I use psychedelics as my form of therapy. I use it in conjunction with talk therapy. Um, Again, like when I have these conversations, I always preface like integration, 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 preparation. Um, so people are like, what does that mean? I'm like, you can go to this place. They're called um, Being True to You. And you can get a coach or somebody that works with psychedelics and to prepare you properly. You know, the diet, what's the goal, what's the intention. You then do the coaching with them. You go through the experience because then that's where the work begins, mm-hmm. right? And then you do the integration with that individual afterwards. So I, I'm, you know, psychedelics are safe uh, 
mostly, except, you know, if, if you struggle with mental health, a bipolar, schizophrenia, and those things, like obviously speak to individuals before doing any of those and never mix them with pharmaceutical medications. But there's a safe way to do it set and setting. Um, and if you can find the safe set and setting and the right support network around you, because that's really ultimately what you need to be successful when utilizing those, then I say, fucking go for it. Who cares what the legalization says? If you need to find a way to heal and the drugs and the doctors aren't doing it for you, you need to become your own advocate. Mm. And Griff from Combat Flip Flops was the reason why I was able to come out of that and kind of find myself again. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Whew. So ayahuasca, yes. you went and did it in the jungle? I did. So I've done it and, other places. Yep. And then I went to Peru last uh, end of end of July, beginning of August. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whew. That seems to be like the, the bucket list thing for a lot of people. That's what's sad, though, because yeah. then you're you're running into this thing called psychedelic tourism, where it's like yeah. people aren't, they don't know where they're going. They don't know about the diet first. They don't understand the safety precautions. You know, 90 people in a room doing ayahuasca is not safe. Like, even 30 people, it's like, oh, that's a lot. Like, small setting, safe facilitators, people that have been doing this for a long time. And fortunately, like, honestly, Heroic Hearts, they work with veterans. So there are organizations that work with civilians, but Heroic Hearts, veterans. And so I went to them. They run you through their program. They send you on this thing. And I got to go to... Um, it's in Terrapoto, and uh, I sat with the Shipibo tribe, and I sat with the maestros from there who come from the middle of the Amazon who have been using this for thousands of years, and I had one of the most profound experiences in all of my existence. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. A peak? Yeah. What so, did you come away with? So the first uh, six ceremonies I did were- what? Six ceremonies? Yeah. The first six? Yeah. God. How many in total have you done? I've done nine. Um, but I've I've, I've done zero. Oh, it's so okay. that's why but, six seems like a lot. Well, and the reason I've for me I have found faith in it. Right? So I was a Catholic kid, like Catholic school, baptized, shoved down my throat, blah, 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 blah. And I never resonated with that. Yeah. Like denounced the shit out of that. I'm like, this is not like, you want me to believe a guy in the sky, like, but says that I can't have tattoos, but it's okay for you to, like, do things to children? Like, I'm not going to fuck with this. And so I lost my faith in something greater. And then when you deploy, it was like, I didn't care if I died. It was like, at least I died doing something I believed in, right? And so when I sat down with the medicine again, I found faith in something, in this world, in this universe, in God, whatever you want to call it, whatever works for you, I'm down for, but I found faith again. And so I am a big believer in ritual. I'm a big believer in spirituality. And um, I go and sit with the medicine when she calls. And that. Did you, you believe in like a, a, um, a higher intelligence or a, some sort of there's something architect? Else. Yeah, I don't something. know what it is. Yeah. Um, a lot of people call it God, people call it Jesus, people call it, it wh- whatever you want to call it. That's great. Mm-hmm. As long as there's a, you need to realize that this is a blip. And we are nothing really. And that um, you're not going to go to a heaven or a hell. You're going to go somewhere else. And it's going to be dictated by how you were as a human being. And not in the sense of like, you're going to go into a burning hell and the devil's going to be there. It's like, you know, I just, I believe if you're a good human, good things will happen. Um, And that we are in control. (laughs) What is free will, really? Mm. Right? Um, So I believe in that path and those messages and I listen very intently to them. So the first six were really, if you were to draw a line as if this is present day and you were to look below it, that was the trauma I was dealing with. 
the loss of my friends, the suicide, the struggle. I had um, I had a really bad crash. I, I'm missing a collarbone here, and I have a permanent separated shoulder. You're missing a collarbone? I had a really gnarly crash in Whistler, misdiagnosed. What's there, what's there then? Just nothing? Nothing, yeah. Blank it's space? Just, yeah, it's, it's just free floats there. So I'm missing from here to here, and then I'm really? separated. Yeah, yeah. Jesus, how did your arm stay up? Um, well, <laughs> that's what's wild. I don't even know what a collarbone does. Uh, it holds your shoulder against your body. <laughs> but you, the, seem, you seem very balanced. I do a lot of work to wow. stay that way. That's it. Can I see your scar again? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a, so that's from a bad crash, car crash? Uh, no, uh, oh. a downhill mountain bike in Whistler. Oh, it's the worst, right? Well, my husband was a super cross racer, okay? Ugh. And so, like, it, it, it's not out of the realm. We do those types of things. Um, Used to. No, we still do. Oh, you're so badass. Well, we have a TBI now, so the chattering's not as much, um, but we're working on it. <laughs> so I was dealing really with, like, I had a lot of chronic pain. I had to take a lot of medication to handle that pain. And, you know, at one point during the ceremony, this, again, let me preface this with, these are fantastical sounding things, and I'm aware how they sound. But at one point, the medicine sat down with me and held me and said, we're going to work through this because we understand that there's something going on with your body. There's a trauma being held physically into you that we need to get out. And she turned me into this embodiment of a wolf um, and said, you're so quick to bite. Before, like, you're overreactive. You're so quick to react to hurt someone before they hurt you right because you can't be hurt it's like i'm like a, i was like a stray dog right where it was like mm. i'm gonna bite you before you bite me and i react and i would that's how i would be and because i'm hurt because i'm physically hurting all of the time i couldn't hold my son with that arm like i couldn't do a push-up I could, like it was bad because it's not there i have mm. nothing to support it um and interesting yeah so especially with the history of being an athlete and all these things mm -hmm. i mean yeah i've had a yeah. lot of operations like physical stuff but this one took the cake because the surgery went wrong no surgeon will fix it no one can touch it no one can do anything about it unless i have a surgeon who's willing to build a 3d printed collarbone or go down to panama or so or do some serious stem cell work but at this point like there's no solution and so that's frustrating to me because that's a limiter for me and i don't like that so she turned me into this wolf and i remember sitting there in the yurt, and I could see my hands turning into it, and my teeth, and I was growling, and I was like snipping, and I was like biting, and this is on the ayahuasca. This is on it, and you're looking down, and your your hands are turning into paws. Row head to toe, and I'm sitting there, and these there these what? little things called like flyers, which are like negative energies, right, are just like all around me, and I'm like biting at them, and I'm just like just this whole thing, and then the you feel like a wolf, bro, you're full, snapping full at these things in the air, full on. I am not me at all. Maestro calls me up, I go and sit in there, and then they pray over you, right. And so he's doing this thing and I am sitting there and I'm just, I'm just like, I let go completely. I'm like, whatever's going to be is going to be. And the medicine just snapped my head back. Like somebody took my ponytail and just ripped my head backwards. And I felt this person that was working on me just pull something out of my throat. Just like grab it and just pull. And as soon as it came out, my whole body just collapsed. Well, was there a shaman actually doing yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. There was a, a maestro sitting there, and he was praying, and you could see, like, the, the thing he was turning to was just getting bigger and bigger, and it was and just, you could see it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You like, have well, these like a, visualizations. No, it was more like this, like, you're in the dark, right? So it's like these visualizations and, like, the colors and everything were happening. I had a lot of visuals, and I just remember my whole body collapsed, and... I went back to my mat and I was sitting there and I was so exhausted and I woke up and the next morning I didn't have any pain anymore. Holy. And since then I haven't had any pain. I can pump up push-ups again. I can do pull-ups again. I can go ride my bike again, road bike again. I can run again. I couldn't run. After that ceremony those weekend, I ran 10K. Just boom, boom, boom. 
Before I couldn't run at all. So it was like something physically happened. But the other thing that happened the last night on my first set of ceremonies was I took the dose. I'm sitting there. And it was so much more powerful that night for me. And I felt... So a friend of mine who passed away, um, I met him on my deployment. He was American. His name is Chris Gould. And him and I had this thing. Um, he liked soda. Americans at our FOB were no longer allowed soda because they weren't drinking enough water, so they were dehydrated and passing out. But the Canadians, we still had soda. So now this became currency. Mm. So I said to my buddy, I was like, you know all those Oakleys you guys just get? Like, they just get kit, right? I was like, I want a pair. He's like, cans of soda? I was like, so we used to trade cans of Coca-Cola. So I was his Coke dealer. And I would get <laughs> Oakleys given to me. And so that was our thing. And we would do laundry and we would listen to Dane Cook, uh, his comedy albums, right? And um, so Chris and I had this great relationship. I finished my deployment. We stayed in touch. He goes, I'm going back again. This is his third time in Afghanistan. Ultimately, I got uh, a Facebook message from a mutual friend that we, we each knew. He was very close with this. Um, Chris was very close with this guy. Done all deployments with him. He says, hey, I just want to let you know what happened to Chris. Um, you know, we went, our tank had an IED. The blast inside of the tank, he was fine, but he came out to return fire. And the compression and stuff caused his heart to burst. And so he just fell asleep. I was with him when it happened. Chris passed away. That fucked me up really bad. That night, I was, I went to sleep, and Chris came to me in a dream, and he didn't say anything, and he just sat down beside me, and just smiled, and crap, uh, cracked a can of Coke, and he drank it, and we just sat there, and I, I just remember the dream, and didn't say anything, and didn't do anything, and once the Coke was done, he was gone. It was like, I'm good, I'm safe, you know, I'm just, that's... I've always had these things where I was like, when I was young, I used to like see things or hear things in the room. And my mom used to be like, <laughs> but then later on in life, she was like, oh yeah, like, yeah, we, I brought someone into the house. Like we had a conversation. Like, so I've always been a very open individual. Yeah. And so anyway, I was in the ceremony and I remember I was vomiting so aggressive, I was purging so aggressively. And I just said, I let go and I let go and I dropped down on the mat. And I remember looking up, and I wasn't physically moving. The guys around me were like, you didn't move the whole night. We just heard you whimpering. And what had happened was Chris showed up. And he grabbed my hand, and he said, listen to me. And I can remember hearing, like, the maestros, like, banging, like, like loud, like, really singing the Icarus really, really, really loud. He's like, listen, they, I'm not supposed to be here. Like, we're not supposed to do this, but I know you need to see me to move forward. You need to see some people. So I reached up and grabbed his hand, and it was like I was sucked through almost like a weird wormhole. And I was just like, I felt my whole body just go. And I was, and I was looked up, and I was in this, um, it looked like a huge meadow. And if you think of like that traditional like Vikings Valhalla, you know, where the warriors go, it was like this huge, right in front of me was this huge, like the, the greenest grass you've ever seen, the most beautiful trees you've ever seen, this huge like, building this wood just massive like like um what's the word i'm looking for not a castle but it's like a meeting hall mm. and he goes and i could see people i knew in the far and he goes come with me he goes i went over and i sat down and he goes did you see that clear wall that you just walked by and i said no and he goes you need to cut the shit with the suicide because 
if you choose to do that, you're going to sit on the other end of that wall and you're going to watch us from there. But you can't come in. This is where warriors come. Mm. You need to stay. You have a mission. Your, your time is not done. And I said, and I just remember like my buddy Bishop was sitting beside me and Griff was on the side of me. And they said, you just whimpered. You just whimpered like, like you were in such pain. And in front of me was the soldier that passed away that I was involved in. Another one of the soldiers, Hoppo, that died, uh, that I had got to know who died uh, on the next operation after I had left. And a couple of the other guys that I had known. And they were all sitting there and they were laughing at me. Like, fuck, in their accents, like their Scottish accents, like their Michigan accents. They're laughing at me. And I'm bawling. I'm like, what are you laughing at? They're like, you did everything you could have done. You gotta stop with this guilt. You showed up. You did your job. You couldn't have stopped this. You couldn't have prevented this. You couldn't have changed this. This is what our time was supposed to be. We are right where we are supposed to be. And you need to go back and do what you're meant to be doing. Because this, this self-loathing, this survivor's guilt, this suicidal ideation, this, this you need to go back and you need to cut the fucking shit. Because this is not your time. And then we mean it, like, enough. And then Chris sat down and he cracked a can of Coke. And he goes, when I'm done this, you're going back. And I remember, and Bishop said this to me afterwards, he's like, I just kept hearing you say, like, please don't go, please, I don't want to go back, I don't want to go back. And I was bawling, I was like, please don't let me go, I'm not ready, it's not my time, I can't do this anymore, I'm not strong enough. And um, he finished the can of Coke, and he walked me by the hand, back across the side, and he said, we'll see you when it's your time, but we're all sitting right here watching you. We're pushing you. We're going to guide you. We're going to move motherfuckers out of the way so you get to where you need to be. You have no, he, they just kept saying, like, you have no idea what you're, what you're meant for. I said, I'm meant for nothing. Like, what are you talking about? I sell fucking jewelry. Like, what? this is nothing. This isn't going to matter to anyone. It's not going to be anything. And they said, just be patient. We're right here. You're not alone. You're never going to be alone. We'll mess with you. You'll know it's us. And I was like, please just don't pop out of closets. Like, just don't, please don't. Like, But I just, he grabbed my hand and he said, it's time to go. And I remember just holding on with everything I had, just saying, I can't do it anymore. And they said, we're going to give you the strength. So just trust. Trust in us. Trust in this. Trust in her. You're going to be fine. And he let go of my hand and I sucked back and I woke back up and I just did this huge like <gasps> like life breath I've never felt or taken in my life. And I just cried the hardest I've ever cried in all of my life. And I said after the ceremony, I said, I saw them. They said, we know. And I said... I don't think I was supposed to be there. And they said, no, <laughs> like, that's not like something like, but I said, I think. This is the shaman you're talking to? I was talking to my guys that were in the group with oh, me. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I said, I, I think I can do this. I can do this. And they said, oh yeah, we've got you. Because up until that point when I did ayahuasca, 
I didn't have a community. I had no one but my family. I had my husband, which was the most supportive. I had my in-laws, I had my mom and my dad, my son. But everything else around me was superficial. Everyone else just wanted something from me. Who can you introduce me to? What can you give me for free? How do I get into here? How do I talk to so-and-so? It wasn't real. People didn't care about me. And it's not like I needed a million people, but I needed to know that I was seen. And Griff saw me. And Heroic Hearts saw me. And Bishop saw me. And Tim saw me. And all of these guys that didn't know me, when they said they're bringing this chick down to do this ceremony, I was the only female in the group. These guys were all Blackwater, CIA, Army Rangers, Special Operations. I didn't belong in this group. I wasn't a warrior. I was weak. I was the one that couldn't take it anymore. I was the female that wasn't strong enough to hack it. I was the person that was never in that situation. I was always the motherfucker that had to convince people that I had done what I had done. And I had showed up the way I showed up. But I didn't need to do that anymore, right? Because people saw me. So I was able to calm down. I was able to put my teeth away. I was able to understand that I was meant for something else. I just needed to be patient in order to find out what that was. So that was my first experience with Aya. And then I always said after that to these guys, like I owe you, I owe my husband my life, I owe these people my life, I owe this community everything. Because without this community, I wouldn't have anything. And when I met Griff, everything opened. When I mean everything opened, everything opened up. Mm. So that was my first three. And then after that, it was, you know, we dealt with that real deep trauma. Then we started dealing with this trauma. And then Peru last year, we started dancing into the future a bit. So when you go into these ceremonies, yeah, do you go in there with intention? Okay, I need, to, I need to work on this? Yeah. Okay. I didn't know whether you just showed up and just started no. flying around the universe no, and like no. whatever you get whatever gets healed gets healed. No, because you mm. that's the thing is the medicine wants to know what you need. And how, do, how do you know what you need? Because at that point I had been doing therapy on therapy okay. on therapy. So on the talk therapy, therapy sets it was you working, up for... yeah. It set me up and it got to me to a point where it was like, I know that I need to work on the survivor's guilt. I know that I need to let go of the fact that I know I did my job. You know what I mean? I really needed to dive into that. So I worked on that. And then the next set was like, I need to work through this deep set burning rage I have. This anger that I walk around where I'm smiling, but my energy that comes off is like, go fuck yourself. Like I needed to work through this anger because I didn't know where it was coming from, mm -hmm. right? So it was like every time I go, I'm going for an intention because the medicine doesn't play. You may go with an intention, but they will, the medicine will always give you what you need, not what you think you need. Mm. And it might not be what you want to deal with, but it needs to be dealt with. But you, show, you, but you have to start by showing up with an intention. Have to. Whether it's right or wrong. It's what you think. It's like, it could be as silly as this. Like Peru, I was dealing with something a couple years ago where I kind of got pseudo canceled for the first time. Mm. And that was... Awesome. Bro, that's a mind fuck, hey? <laughs> I know. Suddenly you're like public enemy number one. Like, what? What? I know you know what I that know. feels like. Yeah, yeah, I got I a little know. taste of that. <laughs> yeah, I got I got a taste. But it fucked me up. Bad. Yeah. Like, in a way that, like, I didn't expect. And so I got to a point again where this rage was so deep and it was so nasty and it was just affecting my life, my day, my emotions with my husband, everything. And I was carrying around this thing and I was like, I need to go work on this anger because I can't hold this any longer on my own. And so I went in and I sat down and I said, I was 
just diagnosed with a TBI. I'm working on brain treatment. I'm in a lot of pain, and I'm in a lot of pain. And what's, the mice, t- what's TBI? Traumatic brain injury. Okay. And um, you, the maestros don't, like, talk back to you. They just kind of listen. And... Man, Peru was a different thing. Peru was, you're in the jungle and the animals respond to the medicine. When somebody's going through something, they get loud. They know it's it's baked into this culture and you can feel it in every fiber, every creature, everything. It, it vibrates. And I worked through some really serious things I needed to work through in Peru. And sure enough... I come back, cut to, what are we right now? We're March, January 1. I said, I'm going to go, you know, New Year's Eve. I'm going to go do a ceremony by myself. I have this spot in White Rock I go to where I take a mushroom dose. I bring my pen and my paper, and I bring, you know, my sage and my hippie shit people want to woo-woo about with me. And I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set my intention for the year. I'm going to really work on something here. I wrote down everything. I want everything I'm going to work on, all of ever the intentions, whether it's just being a kinder human, whether it was just giving more empathy, whether it was just seeing others for themselves, not selfish things like, I want this and I want this and I want this. It was like, I just want a little peace for this little pocket I live in. And I want that peace to radiate. And I want every time I meet someone, them to feel better. And I want them to feel lighter and feel healthier. And whether I speak, I want the speak I say to matter. And not because I'm talking shit about other people like so many fucking YouTubers and Instagrammers who just, they make their entire living off of talking shit about others. And you and I know a bunch of those people and I hate it and I despise it. So everything I say, it needs to come with compassion, with love, with education, with intent. And that's all I wanted. And I did my ceremony and I went and swam in the ocean because the ocean and I have a bond and it was cold and it was what I needed. And then I cleansed myself and then I burned that shit. Mm. January one, phone call started. Hey, Kels, we need to have a meeting. We have the actress that's going to play you. Hey, Kels, we're optioning this for a miniseries. Hey, Kels, you're going back on this podcast. We never thought you would go back on. You've got this. You've got this. This book's going here. <laughs> we you're never doing thought this. you'd go back on. Yeah. Oh, something happened, but against all odds. Yeah. Yeah. No, but legitimately, <laughs> right? And like, because here's the thing. Oh. I started with this brand. You know, I barely graduated high school. I somehow became an author. But the podcast is where my soul lives. It fills my cup. I want to do it till the day I die. Right. And I love it so much. But it's like, you understand what it's like to book people and get people and get them to see you and be willing to talk to you. It's like, the bigger you get, the more you can that, that, that. And so when that shit starts happening, it's like, okay, I think I found a new purpose. The brand was the start. This is what I'm going to do. We're going to always do this. We're always going to put the money in the hands of these people but I'm going to try to grow something different now. I'm going to try to be this animal in a different way. I'm going to be a voice for something greater. There's a million podcasts and everyone's like, well, most people don't get past five. Okay. Well, most people get past 20. Well, most people don't get a hundred thousand downloads. Then they don't get 50,000. They don't get 200,000. They don't get a hundred thousand. They don't get whatever. Now I'm at half a million and it's like, and I'm booked till June and I have people coming to me and the conversations are, damn it, your show is different than others. Mm. You see me. You hold space for me. You let me have a conversation I haven't had before because you made me feel comfortable enough to have it. It's like, okay, this not only fills my cup, 
this is helping others. Mm-hmm. So it's just spun into this fucking animal that is just growing out of control. I love it, man. High five. Yeah. Whew. Yeah. My I know God. it's long-winded. I'm sorry. but No, it's uh, good. I had no idea we'd be touching on the ayahuasca thing. That, that's kind of fun. Yeah. Because, um, yeah, I've, I've never done ayahuasca, but I've done DMT, and I've, I've sort of had, a, like I said, a little peek mm-hmm. behind the curtain, and mm-hmm. just everything you talk about, the animals responding and the, the different frequencies of the we're connected. dimensions, and we're all connected, and it's mm-hmm. wild. I, I think I, I wanted to mention one book. Yeah, tell me, please. That I've uh, mentioned before. Okay. Um, but whenever it comes up, I was going to mention it because it's just this wild. I'm about it. Book that it's a really old book. I just I just read. Just randomly, like come it came to you. Well, yeah, I don't even know how I was introduced That's to this book. How it happens. It's called Journeys Out of the Body. Ooh. By Robert A. Monroe. Okay, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to write that down after. And this is what the cover looks like. Oh, I'm about it. And. I think it was released in the 70s. Because that's, like that's when everyone's like, oh, right. we're in it. Mm-hmm. And this guy, I'll, just real quick, yeah, yeah. this guy was, I think he was a doctor. like a really, No, no, no. I think he was a really respected businessman Okay. in like the 50s, I think. And he started thinking he was going crazy. Okay. And he, he was having these hallucinations and he, he went to his doctor and like, just something's wrong with me. I don't know. Long story short, it turned out he was having out-of-body experiences. And he learned how to control them. Ooh. And Ooh, got, I love it. And he sort of detailed journaling every single is that that is? experience, that book. Oh my God, oh my God, I gotta read it. I gotta read it. It's I gotta so read it. trippy. Because he'll say, August 23rd, 1952. <laughs> like you start, you start reading it like it's like an old yeah. school. And he goes, uh, you know, it was, it, was, it was cool in the room and I used uh, my red blanket to cover me up. He describes it. Yeah. And he describes even how he learned how to sort of, he would get he would get into the certain vibration, and then he would his soul or whatever you want to call it would sort of just roll out of yeah. his physical body. Yeah, he would he knew how to like depart mm-hmm. his soul from his body, yeah. and then he would I think when he really realized that it was real, and not a hallucination is that he would he rolled out of his body, and then flew to his friend's house. Okay. Because somehow he could... Astro projected? Yeah, like he figured yeah. out how to like... Uh, he's like, he's like, I figured out how to steer where to go. It's like whatever my dominant thought was, right. that's where I would go. Okay. It wasn't like steering a drone or something. He would just have to think of where his friend lives and then he, he would just automatically start flying there. Okay. And then he would show up at his friend's house and see that they're wearing a red sweater or something. And then the next day he'd say, hey. Yeah. Were you wearing a red sweater last night at your family <gasps> dinner? And his buddy would be like totally freaked out. Like, yeah. You know, the stuff yeah. that was just, he started realizing this was really happening. Then he realized how to travel. When you describe that wormhole. Yeah. Being sucked through. He describes mm-hmm. entering through a sort of pitch black window. Yeah. And then, and then the hand grabbing him and him being freaked freaked out like he hears he puts his hand through and another hand grabs him and he oh he freaks out and then wakes up in his body again yeah. but then he wakes up the courage to let this hand pull him through mm-hmm. and then he is brought to like you said it another other worlds some of them are almost like parallel worlds yeah we're like they have cars but they're not like our cars like, they're just like what? slightly different like, maybe a little different shade no, or, he's like yeah. there's a whole another whole world i went to yeah. their cars are all just made of wood mm-hmm. and they fit 20 people yeah that's their standard thing and you're just, it's like a, a, you think you're reading like a fantasy 
weird fantasy book, but he is like legit. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Long story short, um, he describes sort of heaven and hell in a way that's sort of like um, when you pass over whatever your dominant vibration was, mm-hmm. it's like birds of a feather flock, flock together. together. You just sort of gravitate towards automatically. So it's not like you show up at the gates and you go, all right, can I, am I going in this door? Am I going down to the fire? It's sort of like the lighthearted, good intention yeah. filled people yeah. just naturally go in one space mm-hmm. and the, 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 the bad people with the bad vibrations, it's naturally all conglomerate in yeah. one area, sort of in clunks. <laughs> But it happens in the world, like, if you think about that too, though, that happens in society as well. Yeah. Right? And that's and that's how we form little communities and groups. It's like similar vibrations or similar intentions. And, and I have, um, so Ruvay and Neil McDonough are the ones that are producing this. And Ruvay, she has a saying, it's like, and the whole family's like, where there's Ruvay, there's a way. There's always right. a way. <laughs> and I would, if I'm down about something or I'm like, hey, this TV show said I'm Canadian and um, that I'm not a celebrity, so they won't interview me. And like, that crushed me a little bit. They'll be like, just have faith. Have faith. Have faith in this. Just have faith. It's going to happen, Kelsey. It's going to be fine. The next day, like clockwork, when you are with the right energy, that will attract the right energy. That's why it matters so much what you put off. What yeah. you put out into the world will come back to you in that same way. Mm. So if it's negative, you're gonna have, it's like it's like the people are like, I got a car accident today, I got another one a week later, like some guy on his bike ran into me, like my coffee spilled on me, like what the, what's going on? Like why is all these bad things happen to me? What are you putting out? We understand that energy matters. We, we have science to back a lot of these things. Like these are not like woo-woo conspiracy things anymore. Like it matters. The way you choose to react or not react in the world is going to be fed back to you. We see that. I mean, look at the way of the United States. You perpetuate war after war after war after war after war. What's happening to America right now? Mm. When you show up as a different person with it, proper energy with a caring intent to be productive, healthy, whatever you want to be, just help others. Like, like this guy, he just shows up, not for himself. He doesn't need to be doing what he's doing. He doesn't mean giving people money and taking them, you know, putting them in like getting the homeless off the streets or taking them to like these amazing basketball games and meeting their heroes. He doesn't need to be doing any of this. That guy could be making millions on TikTok, period. He does not need to, but he keeps doing it because there is a reason when you what you put out you get back period it's not more complicated than that it really is not but people for whatever reason think that they can't change their circumstance well it's hard to get momentum building when you're in a dark place damn right it is that's the toughest part yeah when you can't get out of bed mm -hmm. when people are like oh that's easy for you to say now i'm telling you right now i had suicides planned i had letters written i had stayed in bed for days on days. I've been there. I know what that feels like. It's possible. You can get better. You can heal. You can move forward. What's the first step when you've been in bed for days? You don't even want to brush your teeth or shower. You're just like, ugh, you've got letters written. Slide around on the bed. Put your feet on the ground. Take one step. And then take another step. And then if you have to go back into that bed, go back to that bed. But tomorrow, take a third step. You don't 
we, we live in this world where everything's right now. I need it right now. Well, if it's not working, it's not going to work ever. I do this thing with Brass and Unity on Mondays. It's called Mental Health Monday on our Instagram. We do a live every Monday. And after I did Jocko a couple of years ago, I got this outpouring of people being like, I need help. I, I'm overweight. I, I don't even know how to start moving. Um, my husband's struggling because I know he has PTSD. It's gone undiagnosed and the VA won't help him. I just need help. So we started this group, the Mental Health Monday group, and it's this group we have on Signal. We have people from all over the world. And we issue these small challenges every single month. This month is, it, and there's a buildup, so just bear with me here. We get people from the bed to the kitchen, to the kitchen, to the mailbox, to the mailbox, to down the street, to down the street, to running from nine cans. And I literally have an individual, nine cans of Coca-Cola a day down to one a day. Not, it took six months, but we got more water. We got less caffeine. We got light in their eyes in the morning. We got them to see that processed foods are really the downfall. It may taste good now but it's going to hurt your mental health after. We got people to realize that instead of scrolling on TikTok for 12 hours, put it down, read 10 pages of a book for a day. Tell me how you feel. We give them a YouTube clip of a five-minute breath work. Just try it. Nothing complicated, just box breathing. Four in, four out. Four in, four out. Mm. Then write down how it feels. We give small, bite-sized steps. And then we stack those bitches month after month after month after month. And now you're walking two kilometers a day. Now you're drinking two liters of water. Now you're reading 10 pages a day. Now you're doing 50 push-ups a day. Now you're doing 100 push-ups a day. And we just keep going. And in the group, we support each other. So you can start. But if you can't get out of bed, the first step that is going to be, and I promise you it's going to be the hardest thing you will ever do in all of your fucking life, is to ask for help. It will be the bravest thing you'll ever do. It will be the hardest thing you will ever do. Pick up the phone or turn to someone and say, I need some help. That is how you start. Hmm. It's not more complicated than that. Must be a lot harder for guys to ask for help. I mean, maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong. You know, it depends. I, I'm not a scientist. I'm not a doctor. I don't understand. You know, uh, that's a lie. I understand the difference between a man and a woman, so I can answer that very fucking clearly. Um, a lot of people can't. Yeah, these well, days. that's because people want to live that <laughs> life and live in a reality that's not truth. But that's okay. I understand. You know, difference between gametes and bodies and the way we work and that we are all different and our brains work differently and we mm. need to uh, either accept that or you can live in that reality but I'm not choosing to erase women anymore mm-hmm. um, so amen sister so here's the thing men yes because they I need to be strong especially military men or, or service members I need to be mm, this guy but whether you grew up in a generation where you were told that you can't cry crying makes you weak the most strong men I've ever seen are the men that cry. It's the men that sit down and say, I can't carry this load anymore. You will be seen as a stronger, braver, more courageous fucking warrior if you just say, I need a little help. And you might not know what that help means. You, don't, you might not know what that is. You just, I just can't carry this burden anymore. And that's okay. I had a firefighter, okay, after Jocko reach out and he stuck out to me for some reason and he goes, I have a child. I can't live for him anymore. I'm a single dad. I don't know what to do, but I can't do this anymore. 
within about 48 hours, we had him at a treatment facility in Arizona and we were doing these things. And he goes, I erased that message more times than I can count. But I listened to that episode and I've never cried before during a podcast. What it showed me was that like, even these big dudes who, you know, are door kicking and, you know, SEAL team members, they struggle too. These cops who are badasses on the streets, who are showing up for people when they're defunded, underlooked after, putting themselves in situations that are more likely going to kill them than not nowadays because we are so disrespectful to them. We have to have the hard conversation and say, this shit is not easy. Any human being, any human being is going to struggle under these circumstances. Your, the amount of stress that you have on your body we have these things called cups in our bodies, right? So you, my friend, might have a shot glass inside of the amount of trauma you can handle. And I might have this full coffee cup. But we're drastically different in sizes. You're a male, I'm a female. We just see things differently. The amount of childhood trauma you might have may be more than me or less than me. But our cups can only handle what our cups can handle. And when that cup starts to overflow, it doesn't matter what you look like on the outside. Your cup is overflowing. Mm. So uh, the thing I say to men who are like, no, I'm, I can struggle through. I'm strong. I'm all of this. I know some of the baddest dudes on the world. I have the ultimate privilege because it really is a privilege and an honor to know some of the people I know who have served their country for decades, who have done the hardest things that most people would, if they knew they would never, ever sleep again. When these big six foot six guys come to me and go like, that was really fucking hard, man. I applaud you. I applaud you for showing up for yourself. Because what you're doing is you're now saying to yourself, it's hard. I can't handle it. But I'm worth staying. And I do matter. And I have a family that does need me. So I'm going to do the hard thing. I'm going to do the difficult thing. I'm not going to do the ah, suck it up, daddy says don't cry thing. I'm going to do what's difficult instead of giving the easy way, just shouldering it. I'm going to ask for help. If you are brave enough to take that step, that is the first step in coming into a new life where you can heal, be happy, feel love, care, and actually get to be a part of this. Because here's the thing. We live in a beautiful world. But we so quickly live in these things that tell us that the world is dangerous, horrific, horrible, deplorable, dying, crashing, the, the economy's going, the environment's a disaster, there's shootings everywhere. Look around you. When you said these things, you mean oh, I mean phones. cell phones. Yeah. We think that these are God, but we just, if we just looked up mm -hmm. and realized what's around us, yeah. how amazing we have it. There are terrible things going on in the world. Do not get me wrong. Ukraine is a nightmare. China and Russia are making a deal together, which is terrifying. You know, people are being arrested left, right, and center over race, over being in a bad situation. Women are dying in Iran. Women are dying in Ukraine. Women are dying in fucking Afghanistan. We've gone backwards. There's a ton of reasons to think that this world is falling apart. But there's also a million other reasons why we can show up and fix this shit. But we have to be willing to look up from these phones because you have to remember that everything that's on there, people are trying to sell you. 
People are trying to convince you. People are trying to show you a side of something that might not necessarily be reality. But if you live in that, that will be your reality. And that is why we have children dying and taking their lives at 13. That's why we have five-year-olds transitioning and 12-year-olds getting top surgery. That's why we have kids on hormones. That's why we have people being too afraid to go outside because of germs. Fuck all of that. Look up around you. What's going around around you? What can you control, right? If you realize that you can control X amount of people and your life around you, that doesn't control you, right? Mm. What's the reality mm. you live in? I can control all of this. I can control where I go next. I can control what I see. I can control what I watch and what I eat. Stop eating processed bullshit. Get the light in your eyes five to 10 minutes after you wake up. Don't drink caffeine for an hour and a half after. Don't lean on fucking Red Bull and Monster Energy. Stop putting the McDonald's in your face. Go eat a grass-fed burger. You can't afford it, go get a salad. You can't afford a salad, go to a food bank. They have salad, they have other food that's not processed bullshit. You can do this, but it is your choice. We can only walk people to the light. We cannot make them fucking go through it. You have to be accountable. We have to have accountability. We don't have that anymore. We push it off on others. We're all, I'm like we're all victims, that's why. Ah, oh, yes, yes, the victim come on, mentality. Come on. come on. But that's what I'm saying. Well, Kelsey, you know we're all victims. How but, dare you? But we can be better. <laughs> Absolutely. We just have to try. Yeah. That God, you're like, a, you're like a pastor. You're like a preacher. You get into it. I'm just. You are waving your hand. You're waving your hands. I'm a hand talker. And you're, yeah, you're a hand talker. What's, I know, your, I'm so what's, sorry. Your, what's your background? What do you mean? Like what's your? I guess your nationality. Your, oh, your, my nationality. Your, your, oh, okay. Your, your so race. What's your race? What's my race, yeah, what's Carson? Race? I don't look like a white, sorry for boring. These, sorry for these personal questions. No, no, no. <laughs> it's so funny. What's your gender and race, please? Doctor Deborah So and I were talking about this, and I was like, "Why do you think like so many white girls are like saying that they're this, this, and this?" And she's like, "Because it's easier to be." A something and something than a boring white girl. Right. <laughs> and I was like, fair enough. I, I got you on that. So, like, I'm a boring white girl. Um, I uh, identify as Kelsey. I, um, okay. I was right. a tomboy. I, my nationality is my mom is Hungarian. Um, my grandfather escaped the Soviets after the war and came over on a boat, worked in a shoe factory his whole life, barely spoke English. I come from immigrants. My father was, like, one of eight, um, had no running water till he was 12, lived on a farm, um, I come from an average family. My mom, the reason I am the way I am is because my mom taught me, because my dad was on the road all the time. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. They never said no to us for anything. The reason they'll never retire is because they spent it all on my my, my son and, um, sorry, my son, my brother and my, our sports. Um, they sacrificed everything for me, and they always taught me, and they used to get a dictionary, and they cut out the word can't. Mm. We don't do that bullshit because mm, mm. you can do anything you want to do. Right. If my grandfather can hide from the Nazis and then hide from the Soviets and then get on a boat and get to Trenton and work at a shoe factory, not speak English, not have any money, and somehow raise three kids with my Nana, and then my dad can literally be the baby of all of these, barely any food, but like running water, just like rough family, and somehow they can meet and they can build like an average life my dad's on the road two, three weeks at a time, sacrificing his time with us. My mom didn't work. She looked after us. Her whole life was us. But if you can do them right, right, if you can show up the way that they showed up for you and the word can't doesn't exist, you're going to be fine. So it's Hungarian, Scottish, Irish, and uh, a little bit of uh, Norwegian. Wow. Yeah. So when you're getting 
well, first of all, to come up with a book is an incredible feat. And Apparently, is- according to a lot of talk shows, uh, it's fucking nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a celeb. I'm not a celebrity, so I, mean, how, I how, love what it. A, what a what a slap in the face! I, I don't I mean, care anymore, man. You can't care. I know, but listen, like to write a book, you know, I've I've have a I've a a few friends who've written books, and like you can see them, and their eyes are like, oh my god, this what like took everything out of me. Yeah. It takes years. This years. is a lot of work, and you're pouring your soul into something. Everything. This is like. And and to me, like a book is like it's the ultimate calling card. You hand someone. Yeah. If I meet someone, they're like, "Oh, this is this is my book." I was like, "Holy shit, this is like." Yeah. You got a book. And it's not with and, like, it's with like Post Hill, and it's going through Simon and Schuster for distribution. Like, I mean, it's, so so a hey, the book that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, hey, you're awesome all on your own. Then Thanks, you put man. a book on top of it, which is amazing. Um, Brass and Unity: One Woman's Journey Through the Hell of Afghanistan and Back. Then. That it's been optioned for what a, a miniseries? Yeah, by Neil McDonough from HBO's Band of Brothers. Like I know. Okay, and so I met him at a charity event. They came to one of our charity events, and I was talking shit while we were rowing. And him and his wife were like, "If you ever are doing anything, like keep us in touch." They gave me their number. Told them about this book. You I start screaming it out. Seven seven eight. <laughs> right. I'm doing everything. I know. I'm doing everything. Well, the McDonoughs. <laughs> um, Neil Neil's been in everything. I don't know if you know who Neil McDonough is. He's been in Band of Brothers. He's been in Captain America. He's been in Blood. Uh, of course. Yellow, he's, he's, he's a like, legend. He's his legend. Legend. You and see I, his face, you go, oh, that guy. I know he's that been guy. In everything. Everything. Yeah. Um, Boone, you name it. He's done it. Uh, I think he even did like was it the Real Housewife. Like the uh, he's done yeah. everything. He's a sexy looking dude. He's a great guy. Yeah. Um, and when. I had people like them look at me and be like, you matter. I was seen. And so I wrote this and I didn't have an intention of like, I wrote it just like as like a Is journal. It before the book? Yeah. Okay. I wrote like 75,000 words, um, like just journal level, just, <laughs> just typed it out. And then, you know, somebody saw it in Canada and then editors went through it. So their hands have been on it. And then we pulled it from that publisher because COVID happened. And I was like, oh, well, I guess it's never going to get published. And then um, somebody else, like I said, somebody else knew me and then went to, and they're like, you're going to need a literary agent. And then this literary agent um, named Michael Mangiulio from Inkwell Management in New York read it. And he was like, this like Italian guy, like small skin. I love Michael so much. Like Italian family. He saw it. He's like, okay, we're going to, we're going to do this. We're going to represent you. And then we got two offers and I was like, I didn't think I'd get any offer. Because, like, I'm not an author. I don't, like, know how to write. But I've had a lot of people kind of put their hands in it and kind of help me massage it where it looks like it's something real. And um, then Post Hill picked it up last year. And they said, you know, like, we're a smaller publisher, but, like, we distribute with Simon & Schuster. So, like, that's going to help. And then Neil and them were like, hey, Kelsey, like, we think that this is something special. Um, We want to, like, put it, we want to put Neil's name on the cover, but we also want to produce it. You want the rights for it. Would you be good with that? And their family is like, they're a family of God. Like Neil has been an actor for years and years and years. He's been married to Rouvay for over 20 years. He's never kissed a woman on screen. He refuses. He will not kiss another woman. He won't do a sex scene. He won't do anything. He has too much respect for his wife. They have like five children that are all like these spectacular model level, ridiculous, like, and all they care about is just helping the ones they love. And um, this was supposed to come out a couple of years ago and then we pulled it back and I added three new chapters because I wanted to add this uh, psychedelic stuff because it was, it's a big part of my life. But then mm. ultimately I got pulled into the Afghan pullout in a very, uh, weird way. Um, I got a phone call again from Griff 
from Combat Flip Flops. And he was like, hey, you know what's going on? And I was like, uh, yeah, the country's falling and everyone can't leave. And we need to do it. He's like, oh, yeah, so I'm super involved. He's like, we're moving a ton of uh, Afghanis, like uh, visa holders. We're getting people out. I was like, how? He's like, don't worry about it. I was like, okay. And then he's like, uh, but I got a nine pack, a VIP of Canadian visa holders. Uh, one is the head of the women's rights for the Afghan government and their family and their heavy targets. And I can't help them because they're Canadian. So it's on you. Drops this, these fa this family in my hands. And I went. Like what, where? Uh, they're in Afghanistan. They're in Kabul during okay. the fall. And um, so this is hold on. When is this happening? This is happening. This was just the Afghan fall that we just. So you're already home. This is 2021, homie. Yeah, you're back. You've done all golf through this stuff. You get. Okay. I get this phone call, and who am I to say no? Oh, wait, so he brings them this family to Canada. No, 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 no. They're in Afghanistan. He goes. I need you to find a way to get them here. Oh. And you're like, well. What am, how, how am I supposed to? I, like he was special operator, right? So those guys are all intelligence. They're in. They're in. They got people. I got. I run a jewelry company now, homie, and do a podcast. Oh, this is Jason Bourne. So you're in line at a coffee shop to get a coffee, yes. and the phone rings, and yes. we need you to figure out how to get this yes. family out of Afghanistan. Yes. You're like, and people, hold on a second. Um, that'll be a double double. What? People won't what believe this, but I have the voice notes and the screenshots to fucking prove it. That's what makes this so. This is why it took me a minute to wrap to, mm -hmm. to understand what you were saying. Legitimately, I was at home and I got a phone call. He's like, what do you? What? You go to the guy who got you into the thing that brought you back. Whatever you need, bro. I don't know how. So I'm in my office. I go to uh, the person who helps me run my company, Tally, and I go to the girls and I said, "Listen, we have a we have a new mission this week. Uh, Afghanistan is falling, and there is one week before the planes stop leaving. We need to move this family." And they're like, uh, "Well, none of us know how to help with that." <laughs> They're like, we were just going to show you our newest line of uh, uh This is what's bracelets. coming out like next month, um, so can we focus on ourselves? So I go, well, everyone, we're going to switch gears real quick. And so I get on Instagram, and I go, hey, humans, I need some help. At this point, all of our followers, most of them are American. We don't have a lot in Canada, um, mainly because I'm just, I'm super banned in Canada. We're super demonetized on YouTube. Bill C-11 really fucked me sideways. When I came out with the protest, so I did a big sign that said, um, hold the line, because my parents are truckers, um, and my website crashed, ironically, and my YouTube started getting demonetized, mm -hmm. ironically, and then yeah. I started getting some phone calls from some people, being like, you better watch it. Yeah. And I was like, no. <laughs> so, um, so anyway, so that happened, and I'm like, okay, well, oh, how are we gonna do this? So I get on Instagram with like, because we're super banned, so I'm like, well, whoever I've got there, hopefully it's someone's gonna see someone. And at this point, a lot of these guys I knew in the community were doing this outside of the government. They were going, flying in as contractors and moving people and putting people in like um, backs of, uh, like backs of like buses and like smuggling through to Pakistan and like to, you know, Uzbekistan. Like we were, everyone was doing whatever they could to get the fuck out of that country. And so now I got these nine people I got a baby who's three years old who just got beat up by the Taliban at the gates at the Kabul airport because his family always taught him, you see a Taliban, you kick them and you run. So the three-year-old went up, kicked him in the shin, and they fucking beat him with a buttstock. So now I got, I got a three-year-old who needs a hospital, and I got eight other people, and two of them are VIP targets on the head of... And now, because of the way that Biden decided to do this, we left computers that had all of the Afghanis that worked with us for 20 years who were sympathizers. Taliban are going door to door. 
right? And we know this, and we know we've got an X amount of time. So, hey, humans, guess what? I got a nine-pack. They're Canadians. We, they have Canadian, they're, they're Afghanis, but they're Canadian visa holders. I need your help. If any of you at any point have any connection, I don't care if it's loose or not, DM us. It just starts flooding, flooding. And people would go, I got you so-and-so, get on the phone. I get on the phone with this guy. He'd be like, I got somebody in country, but yeah, he can't get them. Hang up. Next one. And we just did this for days and days and days. Next thing you know, I get this message and he goes, what's your number on signal? And I give him my number and he calls me. He goes, yo, I got a contractor in the comp- in the country right now. He's willing to help. He heard what's going on. Um, we know you don't have a lot of options here, but like they're a VIP, meaning like they're heavy on the list, high up on the list. Like, we need to do something. So he's like, he's, he's going to call. So I just get, I get this message on signal and it's just the letter A, like as the name. And I'm like, yo, this is what I need. He goes, I don't know who the fuck you've been talking to, but I just left a big meeting with JSOC and there is seven different units looking for your family right now. You're doing something right. You're making some type of noise because people are trying. And I was like, okay. And you're I was like, looking for your family? Yeah. Because like, I put out that I need to get this family pulled. I just put it out there. Like, like in a bad way? No, no, no. In a good way. In a good way. Like to get them into the airport, to get them God. on a plane and get them out of the They're country. Like, other people were like looking for you because oh, no, you're trying t- to help. Well, well. Like, so let me. <laughs> like, no, no, no. Wait. It okay. gets better. Okay. No, you're going to okay. love this. Okay. This is going to get My mind fun. is racing. Okay. Okay. Well, this is going to get fun for you. Okay. Are you ready? Ready. Whew. Midweek. I get a phone call from This is a lot for a little air cadet. I'm so sorry for you. Okay. Um, you were not ready for this. Um, I get a phone call from CBC. Hey, Kelsey, because I've done some, like, I'll do interviews where they talk about, like, why we shouldn't have fireworks on this day because, it, uh, so I get called in to sometimes be, uh. so. Um, be a guest, a uh, guest interview, a interviewee. Yeah. So they go, hey, we want to talk, we're, we're interviewing a couple of the Afghan veterans in Canada, um, and we want to talk to them about how angry it's making them that the way the pullout was going. I said, so you want to gaslight me on national television? Do you really want to know what's going on? And at this point, I had found out that all of the Canadian visa holders that were in Afghanistan were about to be abandoned. There's a piece of paper called the IRGC paperwork. They were given an email address to email. Guess how many people were responding on that email? Two people. So there was. I wasn't guessing, by the way. If you're if you're not watching the video, sorry about that. She held up two fingers, and I just said two. Two. There was thousands of Canadian visa holders in that country that were not being responded to. Next thing you know, I get a phone call the next morning. Kelsey, we have to cancel the interview. We have just been told by the Liberal government that there is going to be an election and there is a media blackout on everything Afghan related. Ironically, we're going to call a federal election during while we're abandoning Canadians. Cool. So I get calls from all these uh, bases in Canada being like, we're trying to go. We're trying to get planes. They sent a plane. That plane was supposed to come back with the Canadians. It left again empty. So Canada was like, peace out, homies. Thanks for helping us. But we're not really, it's not really worth our time. So I now go, okay, well, I got to rely. Here we go again on the British and the Americans. Let's see what we can do. So I make a few more phone calls and I'm, this guy goes to me a while. He's like, you know, days go by. He's like, Hey, like, do you have the paperwork dialed? Meaning like, do you have it confirmed by the Canadians that these are authentic, like authentic visas and that their passports are valid? And I said, well, I can't get a hold of the Canadians because you got to get it checked or I can't go. So I make a call to, again, because of my podcast, 
a friend of mine that I had known because I started the show. I had him on. His name is Garrett Jones. He um, He's a New York Times uh, ghostwriter. He's over in the UK, British military guy, real cool dude. Introduced me to this guy from my show named Dean Stott. Well, Dean Stott was a British SBS special operator, really gnarly dude, did the Guinness World Record on a road bike at the Pan America Highway, friends with Prince Harry, like just connected guy. What I didn't know after interviewing him and I found out was the power really is his wife. Mm. It's Alana Stott. Alana Stott is a member of the British Empire. Alana Stott is a philanthropic badass. Alana Stott has five fucking books out alone this year. This woman is insane. But she also talks like this. And she's the softest woman you'll ever meet. And she was Mrs. Scotland. Like, I wouldn't have thought, you know, <laughs> well, they own a contracting company. So when you get out of the military as a special operator, you can go work for contractors, right? And yeah. that means you go work and you do things for, like, really rich people. You protect them. You go, you know. Bodyguards and all yeah, sorts of things. Yeah, really gnarly stuff. Yeah. yeah. So I go, well, I don't really know these people. But and interviewed Alana. Her and I hit it off. I had her number. And I messaged her. And I said, there's no way in hell you are not involved in this. And she goes, what do you need? I said, I have a nine-pack. I need paperwork authenticated. She goes, Send it to me. So now that checks off starting on the, I think it was like the 23rd or the 24th. I was awake. We were awake for the week because Kabul's time changed, right? She goes, stay by your phone. At this point, this family's now being hunted. So now I'm needing to move them from Vancouver using Signal and just the knowledge I have from being in the country using Google Maps to different safe houses. So we're doing this. So here's what happens. I get the husband's phone number. Enyat is actually in New York as a student right now. It's his wife and child and the rest of the family that are back in the country. Him and I start communicating. I said, I need you to give me their phone numbers. I get the phone numbers of the family. Now I'm, I'm on the ground. Now I'm dealing over here. So I'm like, hey, wawala, you don't know me. I'm here to help. I'm going to do the best I can to get your family to Canada. I'm going to make you no promises, but the only thing I am going to promise you at the end of the day is I will do everything I possibly can to help you. This is all I got. If you're willing to trust me, I have people that I trust that are telling me what to do. I will do what I can. You're all we got. Let's do it. So I say, stay here. One of you has to stay by the phone. You have to sleep in cycles. At this point, I need you to move to this grid, which is another safe house. At this point, we get them to that next safe house. This is when the... And, and they're in what city? They're in Kabul. They're in Kabul. They're in Kabul. So I'm communicating with them. How do you know where the safe houses are? I know where the safe houses are. You just know? Sure. You just know where they are? Sure. Okay. And you're smarter, you're using, you're using... smarter people than me. Okay. I'm not doing this on my own. Yeah. yeah. I'm talking to this guy named A. This is... Uh, right? And we're doing this. This is some wild stuff. So for that week, I said to my husband, I love you but you're about to see a side of me right now. I need, honey, I left this country not the way I wanted to leave it. I left these women and kids not the way I wanted to leave it. I need you to just let me do this. And he goes, all right, all right. It's not going to be pretty. I'm not going to be sleeping. Things are going to get nasty. Just please let me do this. He's like, okay. So at this point now, I'm waiting for Alana. I'm moving the family getting to a different safe house, talking to the husband, excuse me, and I finally get the call from Alana. I got your paperwork. It's been cleared. I got the stuff. Here it is. I get it from her. High five her. Love you. See you later. On to the next. 
give it to this guy named A. Here's the documents. Now I've got their passports, their paperwork, their everything. I'm responsible. And I said, this is what I got. Does this work? He goes, yep. He goes, but here's the problem. I need to get him in the airport, and I don't know that I can. Because right as that day happened, we started getting intelligence. About 18 hours before that IED went off at the gate, we knew there was a vehicle-borne IED somewhere coming. A what? A what? A VIB. A VIB so a vehicle-borne IED. What's a that? suicide bomber. Oh. So before that bomb. I only went, know the Hollywood terms. That's okay. Before the bomb went off, intelligence and people in the country knew because the, ta- the country was falling. The Taliban were just crushing cities. Like, we thought this would take months. It took days and hours to run through. And so we knew it was a matter of time when a bunch of people are sitting there, vulnerable, something's going to pop. So now I'm on the phone on Signal with a bunch of Canadian intelligence members, U.S. intelligence members, people I have no business knowing, no business being a part of, not a goddamn clue what I'm doing. All I know is if I just keep pushing, I'm going to get something. So they go, look, we tell the family we don't want to move them right now. Tell them stay there. We're concerned about a couple more IEDs. There's some stuff going on. Just like hold. Cool. Hey, guys, I need you to stay there. Baby's got a fever. Okay, now we got a problem. Now we got a kid that needs some medical help. Now we got an AMSIP baby. Now we move up the list of importance because now we got a vulnerable child. That actually helps us. I go, I need a photo of the baby. They go, okay. They send me like a when they took before. Nope. Show me that baby looking real bad. The oh, worse God. that baby looks, the better your chances are. Yeah. Cool. Sends me a photo. Great. And yet, it's coming at me. What are you, what's happening? What's happening? Blah, blah, blah. Not used to letting women take control. Not listening. Kelsey, I don't know if we can do this. I don't know if we can, we can wait. I, you know, we're going we're gonna to try something else. I said, if you don't start listening to me, I can't help you. I get that, sp- that, sp- that person named A makes a phone call to him. A very stern phone call. A very, she's your only option or your family gets their fucking heads cut off phone call. So you listen to her. And after that, he starts calling me commander. (laughs) I said, Enya, stop it. Just stop. Let me do my job. I will contact you when I need you. So ID goes off. And now we get this call from A going, Kels, we got two options. We can put him on this bus they got to go through the country. There's a chance the Taliban are going to stop. We can't control what happens. We knew at some point there was people that were going through checkpoints that were just, they would go through their phone, see an American on it. That's it. So we didn't want to risk that. He goes, I've got a 45-minute window in the next 24 hours. When I say move, this is your last option. Like, this is literally as dramatic as it gets. And I don't text. I'm a voice note person. Mm-hmm. I'm real annoying. I'm that friend. Um Little mini podcast you send to people? Horrible. Yeah. <laughs> and, but now I have all these voice notes, right? Because now the family's voice noting me. So oh, this whole time we have voice notes going back and forth. You can hear gunfire in the background. You can hear the fear. Like I have voice notes of this stuff. Oh, wow. So we get to this point. Um, the pullout was ending. We had 36 hours before the last plane was going to leave. We need to get him in the airport. We couldn't get him in the airport, right? Because of the bomb, because of the gates, like the Taliban were, you couldn't get people in. That was the problem. And so at this point, he goes, I need you to get them for, within 45 minutes distance of that airport. I said, I don't have a safe house. They said, it's going to happen real soon. Get him in a taxi. Tell him to sit in the taxi. Okay, guys, I need you to get in a taxi. Where are we going? I'm going to give you a grid of coordinates on Google Maps. You're going to go and sit there. Okay. 
I said, before you get there, I need you to get out of the car and take a picture of all of you so I know what you're wearing. I send it to A, and he goes, I, I just kept going like, man, I don't even know you. I don't know your name, but I'm going to find you one day. He goes, there's no fucking chance you're going to find out who I am. I was like, oh, okay, watch me. So he goes, okay, send me the picture. I send the picture. He goes, I said, dude, I can't thank you enough. And he goes, what the fuck were the Canadians going to do anyway? They're not even a real country. Of course we're going to help you, right? I literally have that in my book. I have the screenshot of that. He goes, okay, it's time to go. And I was like, okay. So at this point, it's a sunny day in Vancouver. I'm standing in the cul-de-sac watching my son play in the cul-de-sac. All the family members are out, surgeons and doctors and like all these people who think I'm already batshit fucking crazy. I'm leaning up against my car. I'm like, okay, guys, here's your grid. They're like, on our way. Cool. They're in the taxi. They send me a picture of them smiling like... We're on our way to freedom. And I'm like, don't fuck this up. Oh, I got goosebumps. Ah, And so um, I actually haven't uh, told this story before. Um, sorry. Oh my God. Sorry. Well, I'm honored. I'm like right in. I, I I'm just, like... It just happened. So I, it just kind of. Yeah. Uh, I told Sean Ryan I would tell him the story if he put me on the show. And now he's going to be like, you're not coming on. You told us so well. <laughs> I'm trying uh, not to interrupt. No, no, it's okay. It's okay. Um, oh. I talk a lot. So it's sometimes it's hard for me to um, stop. But I just, I haven't. I wrote it in the book, but, like, I haven't, like, told this. Um, so, anyway, we get him there. He's like, okay, we're at the checkpoint. I said, I need you to get to the car. I need you to send me a video. Scroll all the way so I know what I'm looking at. Okay, well, we got this. We got this. We got police over here. We got barbed wire over here. And so they send me the photo. Okay, stay there. Like, they're shooting, Kelsey. They're telling us. I get Wawala, the mother of the baby. They're on the phone. And I have it, and I'll play it for you after. And she's like, Kelsey, I, I, they're telling me if we stand here, if we don't leave, they're going to shoot on us. They're going to shoot on us. So, like. When I translated it into a transcript, I wrote how they spoke. I didn't fix their correction of their language. Like, so when people are like, well, that doesn't make sense. It's like, this is how they're speaking to me. And I said, just stand there. And then gunfire starts going off and people start running. Kelsey, we can't do this. We have to run. We have to run. I said, this is your last shot. I don't have another choice. If you don't stay with me, and I'm screaming into the phone, and if you're in intelligence, the one thing you know is you got to be calm. I was not mm. calm. I was not calm at all. I, I have no idea what I was doing. I was not calm. So I was like, stay in the fucking place. Do not move. Listen to me. <laughs> like, I you was, know, the other parents in the cul-de-sac are like, what's oh going God. on? They, no, they're looking at me, just shaking their head. Like Kelsey's having a day. They're like, stop yelling. <laughs> I was like, you have no idea what I'm Right? So... Anyway, oh. I go inside. I say to Brady, I'm like, it's happening, it's happening, it's happening. He's like, go in the fucking back deck. Like, stop screaming. You're going to scare the neighbors. And I'm like, I don't care. So I'm sleep derived. I've been up for days and days trying to time change them, make sure that I don't miss a phone call or miss a time. And he goes, they're about to pop smoke. And we're going to throw it over the wall. There's going to be a big guy named D. Tell them to look for the big American in the shorts and the t-shirt and the big beard. They're coming. And I'm like, stay there. Look for the American. Look for the American. Look for the guy with the big beard. He's got shorts and a t-shirt. A text back. He's going out with no gear. He dies. This is on you, homie. And I go, thanks, man. Not right now. I can't deal with this right now. Oh, <laughs> so my God. He goes, he's my good buddy. So you I'm like, ah. So they pop smoke. Well, the family starts pop freaking. Pop smoke is like a, they like throw a smoke a, grenade? Yeah, smoke grenade. And it's okay. purple, right? So they start freaking out, thinking it's tear gas. They start running, Kelsey, we have to run. There's smoke. There's smoke. I said, no, 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 stay there. That smoke's for you. Stay there. Stay there. Stay there. Stay there. And they're like, no, we can't. I said, fine, stay there. And I was like, they're like. This is in voice notes back and forth? Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. So he, he goes, tell them 
What kind of scarf they got? I said, they got a red scarf. He goes, tell them to put that scarf out. Start waving the scarf. Start fucking just standing. And then you hear it, and the cops, like, yelling at them in Arabic. Like, uh, it was like a Pashtun Arabic. And he's, like, yelling. And basically, she's like, they're going to shoot on us if we keep waving the scarf. I said, you wave the fucking scarf. You're almost there. Wave the scarf. And I'm screaming. And, and he goes, he's going out. He's going out. And I'm like, don't move. Don't move. Just stay right there. Stay in a group. Don't move. Don't move. And, and then it went dead silent. And I'm looking and yet it's like what's happening what's happening like this is his child right and his wife and he's like he can't help he's in new york it's like what do i do he's standing there and they're standing there and i'm waiting and everything's silent and everything's silent and i look at my phone and i see a message coming in from a and i'm like oh dear god please please and it's just the words jackpot he had gone over the wall and they got the family in and I said, can you send me a photo? And he goes, bitch, I'm on to the next family. Tell him to send him your own photo. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then he texts me two seconds later, got another family. Two seconds later, got another family. And he was just pulling people over that fucking wall through that smoke. And then I get this text message from Wawala. We made it. We made it. We're going to get on a plane. Oh, my God. So they spent another day there. They got on a flight. They got to Bahrain. Then they got to Italy. Then they got moved to New Jersey. And then uh, a couple weeks later, I got this. Well, at this point, I tell Enya, we got him. They're safe. And he's just like, we owe you our life. Like, all of these things. And I'm like, dude, you don't understand. This family saved me. This, this was the way I wanted to leave the country. You guys gave me back what I was never going to get, which was closure. I saved girls. And I saved mothers, and I saved women, and now a son that's going to grow up in a country that he's never going to worry about the Taliban coming after him. He's never going to worry about bombings on the streets. He's never going to worry about being shot. He's going to grow up in a world where he can watch cartoons and eat sugary shit and walk down the street and be whatever the fuck he wants to be. He is here because I had Griff call me, me willing to take a chance, and this family now... Enyat and Wawala and their son live in New York and the rest of the family's in Ottawa. And the Shab Shabnam, the head of the women's rights, she got a guest lecturer spot. They're all going to school again because they lost their paperwork, so they're all going back through school. She's going to get her doctorate. And these people are here. And we got them to Canada all through fucking Instagram and Signal. Oh, my God. I don't even know what to say. Yeah, so it's so I had to add that chapter. Had to add it's that kind chapter of sounds, like a good cha sounds like a pretty good chapter to add. I had to add it. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. So, I mean. Oh, my the, rib. My rib can't take this. I, I warned you. Holy moly. Me, mm -hmm. and my, me and my first world problem with my rib. So, but that's my point. Is, and I know this is a lot longer winded than you wanted. But in, in saying that, I'm really grateful to this family. I'm really grateful to the British and the Americans and the Canadians that tried to show up during that pullout. I despise our government desperately for what they've done and left others to die because that's what's going to happen, right? The women will be sold. They'll never have freedom. They'll never have education again. And that's because of what the United States and the world decided to do to these people. We used and abused a country for 20 years. Go in, then we just bail. And it's convenient. And then we just said, peace, homie. No more use for us. Wow. So, yeah, I was so grateful because now I had closure which then helped me in turn, again, move forward. So yeah, I had no business doing any of that. That was just like fake it till you make it kind of level shit. <laughs> oh my God, so that was really intense. Sorry about that. Listen to you. Uh, I mean, yeah, I'm sure the show is going to be great, but it's not going to be anything close to hearing you tell it. Well, you know what? Standing in the cul-de-sac. 
Dude, it, like, I mean, that, I have, that really paints a picture. Here's the best part about that. When we were standing on the back deck and I got the jackpot text message, I put it in the book. Um, my son and husband were standing in the living room. And my son came to the screen door and I... I genuinely, like, no exaggeration, my husband will tell this story. He's actually doing his first podcast with me on someone's show in San Diego soon. And um, at that moment when I got that, I actually buckled. Like, I dropped to my knees. And I was so hysterical. And my son came to the door, and he would have been, like, five at the time. And he goes, Mommy, did we win? Mm. And I said, Honey, we did. We beat the Taliban. We finally did. We won. And when my son gets older... I get to tell him that story of what perseverance and just trying super fucking hard, even if you think it's never going to happen. Because for whatever reason, why did I think I could pull anybody from a fucking country on the other side of the face of the planet using a cell phone with no... And it was because of the goodness of my community showing up because I was so fucking annoying. I was so irritating that they're like, we got to get this family. She's not going to stop. Like, she's going to harass us to our deaths. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I will. Because I'll go hard in the paint until I get what I want. And that's not selfish. That's more than often to help other people because people showed up for me. Mm. So I owe it to show up for them. <sighs> Sorry about that. I should have briefed you. No, it's, that's, I wasn't expecting all that. Thank God your son said something cute like that. It, honestly, not like, it was like, I lost my Pokemon cards and started getting, punched right doing the, the usual annoying kid thing. I know, but you know what? Like, <laughs> here's the thing though. Like, it's been optioned by the McDonough's, but we're looking for a home for it. So mm. we need a network. We you, need, you mean like a Netflix or a yeah, HBO we need, or something? Yeah, we yeah. need someone to step up and yeah. be like, we want a home for this. Because I need somebody that's going to do it right. Yeah. I'm oh, not going to settle. I'm sure that's, I'm sure that's going to happen. No problem. I'm hopeful. But check this I out. Mean, here's what's wild. Okay. okay? Um, when I first wrote this book, I had an accusation come out, um, from somebody who was hurting, really hurting and decided he was going to try to disparage me, mean saying I was never where I was in Afghanistan. I never did what I said I did. Mm. What that allowed me to do though, was to take two years to contact every bad dude I served with and say, will you write me a quote? Will you write me a statement? Will you sign something? And they said, you fucking got it. So now I have a bunch of British people who are, were standing side by side with me when I almost got shot on the roof and it hit the rifle instead of my hip, um, when the IEDs went off, when we were door kicking, who wrote quotes in this. Griff wrote a page. Marcus Capone, SEAL Team 6 door breacher, wrote a page. Andy Stump, N Navy SEAL, wrote a page. Stephen Noble, Jesse Gould from Heroic Hearts Project. I have... So many fucking people who reviewed this book and wrote, it's like going to your own funeral. People mm. write about you, what you never will actually hear them say about you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And one of my favorite ones, though, was the Afghan family wrote a quote for me. Mm. And we put it on the back of the book. Wow. That's the last one here? That's the last one. Kelsey. <clears throat> pardon me. Kelsey, an angel came for our help. She tirelessly worked to ensure my family was safely evacuated from Afghanistan. At what time, while I was stressed, she messaged me, I'm never leaving you behind. Finally, she completed her promise. It is so merciful to have my wife and son living with me in a secure environment with equal rights and freedom. Yeah, that must feel like, I mean... It's 
I not can't a, even imagine how, how great that feels. It's not even about like, like Griff, that guy I told you, like they rescued like hundreds of people. Like Adina and Alana, they're still pulling people from Afghanistan. Like these people's stories are out there. Like mm. I'm, no, again, I'm a normal person who just decided to put myself out there and call people and ask for help. Well, I mean, you're someone special. No. Because all of these other people aren't having their stories optioned for movies. It's not even about a TVs. movie, man. You know what it's about? It's about... Well someone, who's, well, someone who's a great communicator. Someone who has, you know... I'm just annoying. Someone, like you said, who goes hard in the piss. I'm just annoying. Seriously, I had a guest recently. You're just so annoying. That's I, why this is all happening for you. I tried... <laughs> I'm annoying to a fault, but I tried, you know, a lot of the guests I've had, I, I've tried for years to get. Yeah. And they either freak out and like this person's a stalker or they just go, you know what? If you're going to try that long, all right, I'll give you the interview. And I'm so grateful because what I'm going to do with this book, what I'm going to do with this series, I'm going to do what I did with everything else, the Brass and Unity. I'm going to donate 20% of the net proceeds. And I'm going to get these veterans and these people that have nothing, no support from the VA, the medications, the people who need limbs, who need service dogs, who need whatever they need. We're going to help fund that through this. Mm. So this is my purpose. Anybody can write a book. Literally anybody can write a book. But it's what are you going to do with it? Mm -hmm. So that's my goal. And that's where we're at now. Whew. Damn. You're a real one. We try, son. You are a real one. We try. My God. Yeah. I have, I have no further questions, Your Honor. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I know this went so much longer than you anticipated. No, this is great. I feel like I've actually, you know when you leave a movie and you just feel like- You're like, you, I'm so tired. You open the door and the sunlight hits your eyes again. You go, oh, <laughs> I'm still in movie land. I know. I'm still in your world because you, you're such a great storyteller. I feel like I've been on this adventure with you. I'm hopeful um, we can get it. You know what? Like it's, it's hopeful, but also- very emotional and, and and dark and sad and so yeah, many, it's a lot, man. It's and, life. It's real life. And what you've been through. So I feel like I've 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 got a little bit of that energy just sort of on this journey with you. Sorry about that. Oof, no, I thank you for it. You know, again, like I said, it's been optioned, and I know a lot of people have had a lot of things optioned. So it's just about somebody says, "Hey, we want to take it," and yeah. now we're at that point, and now I just wait, and I have faith, and I. No matter how many TV shows tell me, I'm, I love this, no matter how many TV shows will tell me I'm Canadian and that anybody can write a book and I'm not a celebrity so I don't matter, doesn't matter. Somebody will see it. Somebody will care. Somebody will want it. Mm -hmm. You're damn right. I'm hopeful, man. You gotta hold, the you Americans gotta have hope. love their hero stories. Yeah, but I'm Canadian. I love it. Uh, uh, Justin Bieber's Canadian. Come on. Yeah, but I We're... mean, I can't sing and or dance. Listen, I mean, but I might, you're I might... annoying. I know okay. it works. <laughs> no one's got that Canadian stereotype yet. No, I'll get it. I'll take it. I wear a yeah. hat and I'm loud. <laughs> I know. You, you, you're, I mean, hey, listen. If I have to make it with my yeah. iPhone by myself, I will. I'm telling you, you're, 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 you're branding some point. You got Thank a great you. look. You got the, Thank the hat. You. Daisy, man. Oh, man. I, you're going to, it's going to happen. I can't wait. I and can't my wait buddy, for the news. Dude, my buddy, um, my buddy is Nick and Nikki. I met Nick during an ayahuasca ceremony. Um, they run a crypto strategic. Anyway, they're photographers and really gnarly people. And um, I said we were at SHOT Show a couple years ago. And I said, can you take, you know, he's a really expensive photographer. And I was like, can you just take a photo of me? And this was just like a photo he took at SHOT Show, like in Vegas, just really quick, like literally like 30 seconds. And then we came time to do the cover. And I, and I was like, hey, man, um, I don't think I can really afford to do this. But like, can I use that photo? He's like, 
fucking right you can use that photo. And I was like, that's <gasps> awesome. I'm that's actually awesome. smiling. It's like when your friend's a doctor hey, and you're at the softball game. Oh, yeah. Can you just take a look <laughs> at this real quick? <laughs> Off the record, you know? Like, like I don't really have health just insurance. Just a quick photo, if you don't mind. It's fine. No, it's such a great photo. Thank wow, you. That's he actually crazy. got me smiling. And that was because wow. Nikki was making some ridiculous joke and there was cannabis involved. That is crazy. I'm lucky, man. Wow. I'm lucky. I'm a lucky human. Dude, this is, when does the book come out? So this comes out July 11th, but it is on pre-sale now. Okay. You can get it on Simon Schuster, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever books are sold. Um, I'm going to be in Canada. I'm going to be doing some book signings at Canex. So that's the surplus military store on the bases. We sell our products in Canex, which is the only large uh, big box we sell to now. Um, so in Petawawa, Gagetown, and all those, you know, all the bases, our books are going to be there. Uh, Amazon, you can get it. We actually launched the pre-sales March 1st, and within six hours, it was um, on Amazon in the U.S. and Canada Number one on new releases, number one on war and memoirs, number one on um, Canadian memoirs, and number one on war and spies. It only lasted for three days, but it's because we haven't been pushing it. You're my mm. first Canadian stop. You're I, I picked who I wanted to talk to first for a reason, and so I'm really grateful that you gave me the space to talk to this because people don't really know me in Canada, mm. actually. 86% mm. of my listeners are in America. 72% uh, of them are male, and the rest of them are, you know, we've got 13% in Canada. So it's like, yeah. Well, yeah, like like we start, started off the top of this interview, Canadians were sort of were so um, separate from yeah. in the, the military conversation. We just it almost like doesn't exist. We have some of the baddest you know? dudes. Did you know that Canada, the Canadian snipers, so JTF two, which is our special operators. One of my friends, I'm so fortunate to to know, Dallas Alexander. He was a part of the longest shot in the world. Our snipers hold number one, two, three, and four. Canadians. We, we are deadly. Really, dude. We just don't talk about. It. Wow. Yeah. It's fascinating. We got some bad dudes out there. Wow. And I'm telling you, the Canadian military are hitters. We just don't talk about it. Our news doesn't care to talk about <laughs> we're it. We're hitters. We are. So you call the snipers? We call them hitters? No, we're just successful in what yeah. we do. Oh, okay, okay. Our people are well trained. I'm trying trained. to learn the lingo. Listen, it's a, the, I haven't been I air, think, an air cadet since I was 18. Listen, there is no lingo. <laughs> At the end of the day, we're, we're quiet professionals, just like right. everyone else. And Canada doesn't want to talk about it. There aren't a lot of stories written about Canadians. There's tons written about SEALs and Rangers and all of these things, right? But... We have got some of the baddest people in the world that are service members, and I'm mm. proud to be Canadian. And when people say, why aren't you guys living in America yet? Like based off of my censorship and my social media and it hurting my business and literally lost our business overnight with COVID. We lost it completely. Mm. Everything I built, I lost. The only reason it kept going is because I made masks for the Ontario government. Oh, wow. Yeah, we pivoted. And why aren't you living in Texas or something like that? Right, because I could. Yeah. I could I could go to America and be welcomed literally anywhere we want. I'll say this, and I've said it before, and I'll continue to say it. Even though our administration is inept, uh, leadership is uneducated, poor decision makers, just, you know, well, now we know they're just completely paid off by the CCP. We have CCP police stations in Canada harassing Chinese dissidents. We have our gun rights being taken. We can't even protest when people are harming children in Calgary anymore. The reason I stay is the same fucking reason I went in the first place. I was willing to fight and die for this country once. I will do it again. Mm. Because I owe it to my son. I owe it to my grandfather. I owe it to my mom and my dad. And I owe it to every other service member that I stood beside that held that Canadian flag. And I will continue to do it. Because we're worth fighting for. The government can keep telling me that as recently, I got a letter. Got a letter, okay. I was diagnosed with a traumatic brain injury. It got really bad. 
Canada would not provide me medical care. They told me it was not service related. I made a call to a charity in America called Defenders of Freedom, run by this badass Donna Cranston. This woman is insane. She goes, well, we only really treat Americans because that's our mission statement. They got special permission, flew me down to Texas, and I did brain treatment in Texas under an American code. Wow. Um, my point in saying this is there's a lot of work to do in Canada to help our veterans. And the letter I got last week was from Veterans Affairs saying, your traumatic brain injury is not real. Um, we're not actually even going to call you for eight months to do an appeal, which is illegal. And um, basically, they bank on you stopping, right? So you and I talked before. I said, hey, I've got somebody who's a whistleblower for MAID. She was a Canadian veteran since 2019. Christine was offered medical assistance in dying. She was a Paralympian. All she needed was a wheelchair lift. But they offered her assisted suicide instead of help. There's something really wrong going on in this country. Instead of a wheelchair lift. Yeah, so she, she ended up becoming paralyzed because of uh, the Canadian military. When she went in to get help and stuff, they kept making her work. So then it caused her spinal cord to um, become so damaged that now she's wheelchair bound. She's a Paralympian. She's done Invictus Games. She's gone to the Olympics in Rio. She's a bad bitch. She was actually one of the first artillery gunners to ever be allowed to go. So I follow in her footsteps. And so who am I to back down from the government saying that my TBI is not real. It's not service related. Your hearing damage, not service related. I'm not going to stop fighting for myself and for these other veterans because medical assistance and dying is not a goddamn solution. More pills is not a solution. The solution is psilocybin, talk therapy, animal therapy, community. And until Veterans Affairs in Canada steps up and does that, we're going to try to fill that void. So I don't leave Canada. I stay here and I'm going to fight for Canada. I hate where we are as a country. We are falling. We are crashing. But we can fix it if we genuinely band together. Now, this whole maid thing is pretty messed up. <laughs> Maybe that's another whole episode. That is a whole other episode. I <laughs> promise I could give you hours of that. Oh, my God. Okay, <clears throat> let's do that. Let's do that. Because okay. I'm curious Whatever to know you want, honey. what that's like. Whatever you want. Well, listen, I don't even know what to say. Thank you. I just... Uh, Thank you so fucking much for being the voice. I remember, five. man. I told you. I remember when you made that statement. I fucking heard it on the radio. You mean my conspiracy rant? <sighs> that the convoy wasn't uh, racist? Right. They didn't like that too much. Nobody likes anything. Did you anymore. just call that a not racist movement? <laughs> You're fired! <laughs> That's right. That, you know what? And I gotta tell you, you gave a voice to Canadians again. You single-handedly... Put your fucking profession on the line, your family's well-being on line, the financial freedom that you had, the thing that you had. How long have you been doing radio? Like 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. Who do you think would risk that all just to say the truth or their truth or what they thought was right? Because of you, I felt strong enough to start talking about the podcast in a to start standing up for us because I was like, I'm not the only one in Canada that feels this way. Mm-hmm. And if he's willing to lose it all, I'm willing to lose it all. So you fucking matter, and you showed up for us. So thank you, because without you here being willing to do that, I wouldn't have the balls to do that. Well, thank you for saying that. It matters. You matter. I'm so glad we got to hang out in person. Me too, And the next time you email me to hang out, I'm going to consider responding. I would really like it. I'm going to really give it a second thought. I really, I'd be super (laughs) excited about it. I had to go find that email. 
I'll I, show I, it I to should, you. I should find it now and show you that it's unread. Okay. okay? It's fine. Promise. I, I believe in you. I promise. Thank you, awesome. man. Kelsey, Thank you. you're the best. Thank you. This was great. Guys, order the, order the book. We'll put the link in the, in the description. Please. And um, and you'll hear it here right away as soon as uh, this gets optioned, or, or it's been optioned. It's been optioned. As soon, as, gets, optioned. It's as, soon with... as it has a home. I know. Like, a, just, what do we want? We want so, what are we going to put out to the universe? Netflix? You know what right? I would really is like? The, is that the go-to? I really want HBO. HBO. Because they did Band of Brothers. Right, okay, they so we did want the HBO. Pacific. I want HBO. I'll take Netflix. I'll take Amazon. I'll take anybody who's going to give me a budget to make mm. this right. Yes. That's what I want. Okay.